Yeah, man. I try to cut back on my coffee. I'll do one cup in the morning. And for a little while there, I was rocking and rolling with like four cups a day. And it was like, yeah, like, and if I had a big dead day or squat day, and you take a little pre-workout, like it was getting crazy. You start getting a little jittery. Your sleep goes out the window. And um, like, it's weird. I mean, you can sometimes feel your heart when you're laying down. You're like, holy shit, this ain't good. So I started cutting back to like one cup in the morning. That's it. Just one. And then um, figuring like, like the first week or so, you feel super tired. And you got to get over the hump and tell yourself, it's okay to feel tired. Like, you know what I was doing? This is what, this is what I would say I was doing. If I felt tired, let me grab a cup of coffee. You know what I mean? Like, if I feel tired and I realize I'm, I'm fucking self-medicating. That's the same thing. I feel tired, I'll get a cup of coffee. That was my knee-jerk reaction. And it was like, no, dude, sometimes you could just be tired. Just be a little tired. That's it. Yeah. You don't have to have a response to that. It's the same discipline if you're cutting weight or whatever. I'm hungry, but I'm not going to eat. You don't have to eat every time you're you're hungry. You don't yeah. have to. It's that fucking, It's as humans, it's that chasing comfort we have, right? Where it's like yeah. immediate reaction. I feel this way, I do this. When I'm, when, I'm yeah. t- when I'm at night, if I'm like, I can't really fall asleep, I'll take a melatonin pill. And it's like, man. I got a pill or, or something for everything, don't I? And you start realizing, like, I got to, um, yeah, it's just not the key. So anyways, shifted a little I, bit of uh, my comfort zone doing it. I, I have this hypothesis that every activity that a human could do or want to do, uh, there's, a, there's a drug that would make that activity better. Um, and we tend to be pretty good at finding them and using them. Oh, it, isn't that the truth? That's why they say... You know, with outrage culture, they actually think a lot of outrage culture right now is because we're, we've never been softer in terms of history. History of humans has been like, like when you look at history, I mean, for real history, like 200 years ago, ain't shit. That was yesterday in the history of humans, right? You go back 10,000 years, my friend, we were fighting like you were up at the crack of dawn and you and if you didn't hunt and kill something or whether you're harvesting crop or whatever the shit, or building your, your home because whatever storm's coming in or winter's coming, depending on where you live, you, you would, you, oh, you're dead. <laughs> right? That's the, there is no chilling. Um, so this day and age, and just as, as like 200 years ago, this was the case when people are settling and stuff. So in this day and age, because, you know, they say like memory, uh, DNA's got memory, and this is how we were built and have evolved. Because we're so soft, we literally, everything I just described, man, however you feel, you could do something about it. We don't have anything, like we, that's why there's outrage culture, because that's the, the, where all of our pent-up energy is, we're too comfortable. So any little thing, we get like, ah, oh, this is outrageous, I'm offended, I'm this, that, and the other. It's something about being a little too soft. Whereas you're not worried about what this guy posted, if you got a lot of real shit on your plate... Rory posted something in New Zealand. I'm like, and someone's like, hey, did you hear what Rory, Rory posted? If I'm working my ass off and I'm paying bills and I'm doing all these things, I'm like, I couldn't give a fuck less. Yeah. I have no idea what, what I, he is up to. Yeah. Or even if I saw it, I'd be like, cool, whatever. That's his opinion. Whereas now people are so comfortable and they got nothing else. They're like, well, I'm, this really rattles me. How do I feel about that? And they're overanalyzing and whatnot. But it's true. So anyways, long story short, my friend, I'm down to um, one coffee a day. And um, 
for the first little bit, holy smokes, my man. It was, it's rough. You are like, oh, damn, I'm tired. But now... I've, I've gone cold turkey a couple of times, and for the first four days, I've been like, I have a headache. Oh, yeah. I feel like I want to throw up. Uh, like, I can't concentrate on anything. Um, and then it improves real fast after that. It's, it's, that's addiction too, right? In, uh, oh, absolutely. In, 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 uh, I notice now, though, so if I have one coffee a day now, if I have two coffees, oh, shit, son. <laughs> I'm like, well, I feel this again. And if I have... Rory, you want to talk crazy? Some days I have three coffees because it's a Friday and we're getting spicy. Man, I actually... Rocky numbers. Rocky numbers. <laughs> I'm actually, like, I actually feel the coffee this time. However, like, previously, I'd have three coffees a day just to feel like whatever. Just get through yeah. my day normal. So it's actually back to being what it's supposed to be. It's crazy. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how long this lasts for. But so how is it, you know, actually first, let's tell anybody who may not know about you uh, a little bit about your background and um, in terms of powerlifting to catch them up real quick. Okay. Um, I was a teenager and I was a fat teenager and my parents uh, made me go to martial arts classes um, and I resisted super heavily at first. Um, and then I got really into it and I did martial arts for like seven years. And at one point I was training like six times a week. I was doing uh, BJJ and Taekwondo. Um, oh, no shit. No shit. <laughs> How tall are you, Rory? I'm uh, 183 centimeters, which is um, six foot in uh, Imperial. Um, You're over yeah. six feet? Because that makes you... Uh, like pretty much bang on six feet. Okay. Because that makes you an absolute giant in powerlifting. Mm, mm. <laughs> right? Yeah, and you, you see it too. Like, I, I, on an Aliko rack, I squat out of rack height 18, um, which is... <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. So what, how into the martial arts were you as a kid? Like, you six, seven years, were you doing Taekwondo and BJJ at the same time? Or did you do one yeah. and then the other? Yeah. Oh, wow. No, I was doing them at the same time, on, like, alternate days. So I do, like, uh, Taekwondo on Tuesdays and Thursdays and BJJ on... Wednesdays and Fridays and Saturdays and then I had this like ad hoc sparring class on a Monday night and yeah and I was getting up super early in the morning and running and stuff and well, so, yeah, you... I was a massive, massive martial arts nerd. No shit so how old were you all around this time? I stopped when I was 18 I think so I, so I started martial arts when I was 11 and so all through intermediate school and all through high school um, and sort of just starting university I was I was doing martial arts. And was it was it the Taekwondo that Olympic Taekwondo where you're hitting like full full contact? No, it was, uh, it was full contact, but it wasn't the one that you see at the Olympics. It was like a slight variation on that. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, because the one in the Olympics, man, I watched and dudes get straight up spin kick to the head and K the F O'd, and it's man, it's wild, man. You watch it, like, yeah. holy smokes! It's one thing to see a dude get punched in the head and get KO'd, but when some dude does a flying spin kick. And full on connects, and the guy gets as laid out as a carpet. <laughs> it's like, how is this in the Olympics? That like it, this this dude is not going to be the same when he wakes up. But um, so when you were doing this, what do you think? Like, because those are also single sports, like like in terms of individual sports. Mm -hmm. Why do you think you gravitate towards them, and how into it was it at the time? Like, did you full on think this is what I want to do? I want to compete in this. 
I, I was also playing field hockey at the time, but I was nowhere near as into that. Um, so I was, I was doing like the bare minimum of field hockey. I, I played a goalkeeper and I'd show up at one training a week and be there for like an hour um, and one game a week and I'd be on the field for an hour and that was it. Um, and at the time I kind of thought that was reasonable. And now knowing what I know now, looking back, I'm like, man, no wonder I was so bad at that. Like I, like I wasn't putting the work in to be good at that at all. Um, I don't know... I don't know why I gravitated to martial arts so much more. Um, maybe it was that you could see the direct result of the work that you were putting in and the output that you were getting. Whereas with a team sport, like when I was playing hockey, the, the results of the team were so dependent on whatever the work other people were putting in, the work you put in to coordinate with each other and the work the other team was putting in. And so, like, there's there was massive amount of variation in the results depending on a whole bunch of things that are out of your control. Uh, whereas with martial arts, like, if I get up every morning and go for a run, a few, after a few weeks, my runs start getting easier. And I'm like, oh, look, I could, there's, there's, like, a direct result between the work that I put in and the outcome that I get from this. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there's something about when you take the field and it's a team, you can get, some, you can get nervous if it's, like, you know, a big game or whatever. But because you're a team, there's something about it's like mob mentality. You get lost in the crowd. So there's a reason yeah. like mob mentality is real with people, and we know it. You show up in the crowd, and you're everyone's infinitely braver. Um, yeah. when, you, when you're in a mob, and when you're with all your boys, you know you're infinitely braver, etc. When you're called to the called to the carpet on your own, and everyone's watching. Yeah. If someone calls you out in that crowd and said, "You step forward." And everyone's watching. I don't give a shit if it's basketball still. Let's not even make it fighting. Let's spell some basketball. You. Me and you are going one-on-one basketball. Now let's see. Oh, it's a little different, isn't it? Oh, you you yeah. feel that. Oh, shit. Now you're not just remembering all the days you, you trained. You're remembering all the days you didn't train. Right? Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, I wish I wouldn't have taken Saturdays off or slept in or whatever. And I know what you mean where, I mean, until powerlifting, I don't think, like, you know, it's, it's interesting what you said about when you're a goalkeeper and you were like, I thought I was ready, but I wasn't really, like, I had no idea. Like, why am I not, why am I not really breaking through? When you yeah. start going into solo sports and you feel that pressure, like I just described, so because of that, you're training a whole lot harder, you are like, all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, did I get so much better? Literally, with every day more I put it, can I go five days a week? What happens when I do? Oh, I'm way fucking better. What if I I'm already at six days a week. What if I train twice a day on, on some of those days? Dog. Or if you're like, yeah. or if you start looking at your training, like, what am I wasting time with? I don't need this shit. What if I got switched this up? This isn't working for me. You start doing stuff like that. And, and powerlifters yeah. do that all the time. You know what? Pause squats around. You know what it is in? Pause dance. And just stuff like that, right? Like different things where like not seeing rewards with this. Powerlifting, like single individual sports taught me that, but powerlifting taught me that huge. Powerlifting's good because... It's not about feel. A lot of things are feel, right? And you're thinking, I think I'm doing good. Powerlifting legit has numbers attached. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. It's not going to lie to you. You can't tell me, yeah, this, the bench training is going good. It's like, really? Because your bench went down 20. 20 <laughs> So the numbers aren't really supporting what you're saying to me. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But yeah, I, know, I know what you mean in terms of like, and some people like, and, and, and here's another thing. When it comes to sports like powerlifting and sports like, like those martial arts sports you're talking about. All right, the individual sports in terms of when you compete, but when you're training, the day in, day out, you can, with powerlifting, you can train, like we're all finding out right, right now, <laughs> you can train by yourself in your basement and just be that dude or that girl by yourself. And that's the beauty of powerlifting on your own. You got a crazy schedule, 
or you're just an introvert and you're just that guy, that girl, like, look at man, I just don't, whatever. You're good. You can become the best in the world like that. Just come out your basement twice a year and ruin people's hopes and dreams, right? Crush, crush, team crush some dreams. However, there is an element to you go to the gym and you got a fucking crew. You got a coach. You got a lot of people and you make the upper echelon. They have like, they have coaches, handlers, nutritionists. You got people working on you to keep your mobility and whatnot. You got a gang of people at the gym that you go through with. So even though it's an individual sport, you're rocking and yeah. rolling with the absolutely. team. Right. And when, yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to like BJJ, Taekwondo, any of the combat sports, um, you you got to spar. If you're going to go in a tournament or anything like that, you can't, man, you can just drill as much as you want, but you're going to need to spar. And there's something about, you know what, I read, uh, I don't know if I read it or I probably heard it on the podcast, something about they said, because a lot of these guys in MMA camps and jiu-jitsu and whatnot, like you were choking each other and arm barring each other and it's it's full tilt. Like you go, you can go one hunt. You'd be like, all right, let's go one hundred this round, and well, let's really go for it. Whoever whoever gets it gets it. And they said there's something about um, literally your body secretes a hormone or something when you're under severe duress like that. That a bonding hormone that like soldiers feel, etc. Like you know, some soldiers will like jump on that grenade, so to speak. We say that as a as like figuratively, but literally that shit would happen. They said there's something also in combat sports, they said, where when you train enough times in sessions, you start bonding to a crazy level like that. And it's a, it's it's like a, even though it's individual when you fight, it when you watch your sparring partner fight, you're like, holy shit, I can't even. I can't even, man. This guy's got to win. Yeah. You know, yeah. it gets really, really hard. And you can get addicted to it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's one thing I also liked about BJJ was, um, it was almost like a video game where you're fighting and it's like, I have my moves and my style and where I want to bring you like a chessboard. I know where I want to direct you on this chessboard and I got a strategy and I'm laying traps and I hope you go to bite in those traps. And then I'm going to mm-hmm. counter your counters. And I knew you were going to counter like that. Cause you've been on my trap yeah. and, and that yeah. whole nine. However, you got your moves, you got your traps, you got your yeah. counters. And it's like a, a chess game. Or video game, and when you tap me or I tap you, we reset. I'm a man down. Let's go again. And that's there's something super cool about that. I've, I always felt BJJ was a lot like chess. It's like I can I can see an opening, but if I take that opening, he's going to do this thing, and then I'm going to be in trouble. Yeah. Whereas if I do this thing, that's going to put me in a much much better position. Yeah. Um. Except at the end, you don't just say checkmate. You um. You get you get choked out. <laughs> <laughs> you better tap. Don't be don't be the tough guy and get and get roughed up. And it is um it is sometimes too. You do things like you give ground to gain ground later on and uh, you know, just like some people you sacrifice pawns, etc. But you it's it's all calculated. Same thing, man. It's there's so much in terms of BJJ, you could study that for your whole life and not know it all. There's too much. For, there's so many submissions, so many positions, so many counters, so many from so many it's it's like a tree that branches out and it'll never stop growing. You will be in that sea trying to cross that ocean for your whole life. You'll never get to the other side. And that's mm-hmm. what's daunting, but also what's so amazing. And then how you memorize and apply what you, you just got to try to apply whatever the shit you can to yourself and be like, well, this is what's working for me. Let me just kill this range and, and apply it to my game and just try to, you, every guy you meet, you try to apply it to when you're, when you're rumbling and rolling. It's like, man, it's such a beautiful art, and it, that you could get, you could go into that rabbit hole and get addicted. Um, were you weightlifting when you were doing these martial arts? 
Not really. Um, my my dad had the, one of those cheap uh, gym sets in his garage. You know the the bars that were only like this this round, and they're like the little plastic ten kilo weights that were like filled oh. with concrete. Um, and so like I was I was doing like a really little bit of lifting. Didn't really know what I was doing. Um, it was probably a complete waste of time. I did do like a ton of pull ups on like the cross beams in the garage. Um, so like, uh, but um, yeah, no, I, I properly started lifting when I moved moved away from all of the martial arts classes that I've been going to, to a different city to go to university. And I couldn't find a martial arts club that I liked. Uh, you know how martial arts clubs kind of exist on the spectrum between at one end, they're super family friendly and like, don't really push you to be that good. Yeah. And the other end, they're like training gang members to like, <laughs> mess, mess it's, people up. Um, it's, it's like a fucking, is everyone in here on probation? What's going on here? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What's, what's and, going on? and you want to find somewhere, some, something in that range, which where you're comfortable with, where like, yeah. <laughs> and and like all I could find was stuff that was way down the like super easy soft end. Like, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're doing karate on like these concrete carpeted floors and like they do no contact up until you, before you get a black belt and things like that. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not into this. Um, so I started going to the gym then, and that's when I started like properly training. And where, what, what city was this? Uh, I moved to Auckland, um, which is the the largest city in New Zealand. And how many people live in Auckland? One and a half million. Okay, yeah, it's so it's a decent size. What's life like in New Zealand? Because it's, I mean, for the rest of the world looking in, man, it looks like a freaking paradise. I'm from Canada. Canada, look, Canada's fucking. We got healthcare, the universities. And uh, we got some big cities like Toronto, you know, Montreal, whatever. And um, we got for real four seasons. So when it's winter, it's fucking winter. You understand me? It is like bundle the ass up, 20 below winter. When it's summer, we're talking heat waves. You leave a pack of crayons outside, that shit's going to melt. Like it is fucking summer. And then when there's the in-between fall and spring... It is for real in between fall and spring where sometimes you wear jackets, sometimes you don't, whatever. Like we have for real four seasons. And I know there's some places in the world where it's like summer every day. It's it's summer. You guys some sometimes you get a winter, but it's kind of funny. It's more like it's more like ah okay. Yeah, that's that's winter for you, huh? That that'd be like a, a nice brisk spring day for some people. So what's New Zealand like? Not just like like um you know, weather-wise, but growing up. Because here's another thing. Your sports are much different than... Canada is very much a lot like the U.S. when it comes to sports. Literally all the major sports league, um, hockey, basketball, baseball, we're all in the same league. It's the same, like, major teams. Like, our, our Toronto is in the same teams. Uh, movies, television, it's Canadians and, and Americans mixed in doing the same shit. So, culturally, we're very similar like that. But again, New Zealand... It's a whole other, oh, you guys coming from a different place. So tell me a little bit about it, growing up in New Zealand. Okay, so I'm going to start with the weather because that's the easy one. Um, I Auckland is quite far north in New Zealand where we're considered to be subtropical. Um, and so like the south, the south is different. But in Auckland, we, we have those sort of funny winters that you talk about. And it, like it goes below zero, but like only a little bit and only on, on like some days. Um, what, what summer and winter really are are like the rainy season and the not rainy season. Mm. Um, and it rains. It rains in Auckland about as much as it rains in Vancouver. Um, it's like 840 millimeters a year or something, which is, you know, it, it doesn't pour down all the time. But like most days, we'll have a little bit of sunshine and a little bit of rain. It's like sort of 
uh, yeah, so like you just get used to either being rained on a little bit or um, carrying something like kind of waterproof everywhere that you go. Um, yeah, and then the summer doesn't get that hot either. Like it would get to like low 30 degrees uh, Celsius. Um, so like like warm, but not can't go outside without immediately getting heat stroke type warm. Um, that said, weirdly, my, the gym that I train in at the moment has a, is one of those like hardcore powerlifting gyms with the, the concrete brick walls and like the tin roof. And so like when it's cold outside, the gym is the same temperature as it is outside. And when it's hot outside, the gym is hotter inside than it is outside. Like, um, so, so. What, about, what about when it's one below? It's one below in the gym? Yeah, yeah. God, like, like if it's one below outside, you go into the gym and you touch the metal and like your hand's sticking to the bar. Dude, uh, you get, like, you, but that, wouldn't that literally be like, because if you're, if you, you, you get, your body gets cold and you're squatting, would that be possibly dangerous? Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> um, you're, you're like, you're like, oh no, but this is how this is how we train, sir. We're we're, we're men and women over here, not children. <laughs> I mean, like if it got if it got cold, cold in Auckland, probably I would want to do something different in winter. But like when it's it's only negative one, like throw on a hoodie, throw on some track pants, get warmed up, you know, put on my hoodie again between sets, try not to take too long. Like it's it's manageable at sort of like like low single digits. Yeah. Wow. Um, what about like so it's a sport yeah so the main the the big sport in New Zealand is, is rugby and so that's what everyone grows up watching and playing um, and so from like like a very young age a lot of people start playing uh, rugby and variations of rugby um, so everyone has decided that getting hit in the head is like quite bad for you especially when you're young which is which is probably fair um, so like a, a lot of what you grow up playing is is tag rugby or um, rapper rugby is the other one where you have like little like velcro things stuck onto you and so if you get the velcro thing ripped off you're considered to be be tackled um and so that's that's sort of what we grow up with but a lot of the stuff that seems very popular popular in north america like ice hockey exists but there's like six teams in the entire country um nobody knows what what american football is um a lot of people play soccer that's a big one uh, netball is a big one uh, field hockey is a big one i think that's considered a women's only sport in north america um, but here it's it's a really big sport, and so like you know, schools will advertise, "Hey, our first eleven hockey team is is you know top eight in the country," and like that's one of their big advertising things. Um, what about baseball? No, no baseball. Isn't it crazy? So here's the thing: like in North America, it's it's baseball, American football. Like this shit is huge, and I mean huge, man. So when we talk to like. Um, like for the, for instance, like any in powerlifting, I love powerlifting because what it did for me is like in terms of branching out and talking to people all over the world. But when you talk about baseball in American football, they're like, do not get it at all. Don't get the infatuation. They think both are boring, way too little action. They're like, what the hell, man? And it's so weird to me. What about basketball actually? Basketball's a little more international, I think. No? Like a little bit, it's it's more like a it's more like a thing that people do. They like they like pick up games at, at lunchtime or before school and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I I don't know of anyone who plays in like a social basketball league. Whereas I know a lot of people who play social netball, social like indoor football is a common one. Mm-hmm. Um, those those sorts of things. In the terms oh, and track and field is real really small. Like you would you would yeah. Like we, we had to do it every year at school. Um, and so I was like my high school hurdling champion one year. Um, but no one trained for it. Like, like it was it was very limited in terms of, you know, other than the sort of six weeks that you do at high school PE, like that was sort of it for the entire year. And, mo- and most people wouldn't 
like they wouldn't do track and field as their thing. <laughs> so in terms of for for New Zealand, what's it like in terms of the relationship with Australia? Obviously, the closest nation there. And like I'm asking as like a Canadian with we share like one of like I don't know if it might be the largest unprotected border with the U.S. But that's yeah, our neighbor. And um, yeah. there's a lot of similarities in terms of like population wise. Australia is much bigger than New Zealand. Um, obviously, Canada is a little different because we're a lot bigger geographically speaking than the U.S. But population wise, it's, it's the flip. It's 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 similar to New Zealand and Australia. Um, so what's the relationship there? Is there a lot culturally speaking? It's very similar, but when sports, sporting events, it becomes rivals. Like, like yeah, very, very similar, similar culturally. Uh, lots of the same sports are popular. Uh, both countries have a really big coffee culture that I don't think I've seen anywhere else in the world. Um, those sorts of things. Um, very strong, like friendly rivalry. Um, and so, like when when New Zealand plays Australia at rugby, that's that's a really big deal. Whereas playing a lot of other countries is sort of uh, relatively glossed over. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit of political tension at the moment um, because, uh, particularly with this whole COVID-19 thing, New Zealand provides uh, healthcare to anyone who's in our country at the time, even like even tourists. Um, and so that means that Australian nationals who move to New Zealand, which is really easy to do and, and work here, they have sort of full support of the government. They get healthcare. They get unemployment benefits if that's relevant. All of those things. Um, Whereas New Zealanders who move to Australia, it's much harder for them to get those things. And so there's this sort of perceived inequality where, where New Zealand provides support to some Australians and whereas the New Zealanders who move to Australia don't get that kind of support in return. Um, but that's sort of relatively minor compared to the, the similarities. Because it, so New Zealand's very much social, very social. Yes, yes. In terms of swinging. Yeah, no kidding. That's kind of like Canada as well. I, you guys sound like a little more so than us, but... It's funny. So Canadians are known as being nice, right? Nice, polite, whatever. And um, so I remember, like like I said, all of our sports leagues are all intermingled. So we're used to sporting in terms of like whether whatever sports team it is, they're always going down to the U.S. And a lot of the sports teams, like especially hockey, if it's a Toronto Maple Leafs, look, it's a Canadian team. But there's Americans, there's people from Europe. It's not just guys from Toronto, right? So when the Olympics rolled around, do you know? Do you remember Donovan Bailey? That name is familiar to me. Who, who's Donovan Bailey? So if you were Canadian, Donovan Bailey in 1996 won the gold medal for the hundred meter dash. Okay. Mm-hmm. So historically speaking, if you won the hundred meter dash in the Olympics or the World Championships, you won the title the world's fastest man. That's just how that shit went. Okay. Every year, whoever won the hundred meter, not the two hundred meter. Not the 400 meter, whoever won the 100 meter dash was proclaimed the world's fastest man. All right? So the, the Americans and Jamaicans are really good at the 100 meter. Um, Donovan Bailey won the 100 meter dash, and the Canadians are like, oh shit, we got the world's fastest man. And Michael Johnson of the US won the 200 meter and the 400 meter. Now, the American, um, well, the American population is like 10 times the size of Canada. But the American media, obviously, has got a, a lot further reach because, again, population is 10 times the size. So the American media started saying, Michael Johnson is the fastest man in the world. And the Canadians are like, Keska fuck? <laughs> right, right. In Quebec or whatever. Like, this, this will you, look it. 
if it's if you feel like like so Canadians are super nice, but it's the same situation. If you feel like you're being bullied a little bit, even sometimes a nice guy is gonna be like, um, hey man, you know, gotta stand your ground a little bit. So they decided. So all, all the the media started hyping up. And ordinarily in the hundred meter dash, it's kind of like powerlifting, where historically speaking, this isn't boxing or whatever. There's a lot of shit talk. If you can imagine, we're sometimes we've seen this in powerlifting. We're going to get into some of your showdowns that you were involved with being the New Zealand head coach with your boy, Brett Gibbs. But it turned weird when some of these, like a a, a sporting rivalry sparked up between these two dudes. So the Canadians start breaking out their calculator and the Americans start breaking out their calculators. And they're like, you know, at his top speed, this guy was hitting this. And they were like, well, but he had to... He didn't have to turn a bend, and um, you know this guy had to turn a bend. So at one point, you know, and they were breaking it up. So eventually, a couple millionaires said, um, "Fuck it, bring these guys both in." Donovan Bailey, Canada's Canada's favorite son, and uh, Michael Johnson. Bring them in, and they're going to go head to head in the Sky Dome in Toronto. Um, and somebody put up like a million and a half dollars for the winner, and a million dollars for the loser. So it's a million dollar race regardless. This, my friend, this shit's gonna last like 15 seconds. You know how quick this shit is, right? So they said, Donovan Bailey is the world champion in the 100 meter, gold medalist in the Olympics in the 100 meter, and world record holder in the 100 meter. Triple crown. Well, my man Michael Johnson has all those for the 200 meter. So they said, make them race 150 meters, and they'll put a bend on it. Okay, so, so there's one turn, and all the Canadians are like, yo, our boy doesn't run turns though. And that, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's like, that's like a power lifter, an Olympic lifter, were both like for, for once, uh, we're like, look at Ray Williams is the strongest man in the world. Now the Olympic Olympic weightlifting champion's like, no, excuse me, pardon me. I'm the strongest man in the world when it comes to the barbell. So we're like, all right, let's throw this in there, but Ray's gotta do one clean and jerk. And they're like, <laughs> hey man, that's not how it works. Our boy doesn't do that. So they settle it in Donovan Bay is like, fuck it, let's let's rock and roll. So the people were telling Michael Johnson before he flew into Toronto and, and they were like arguing, where should they take this? Where should they hold this event? And um, the Americans and his, his management team were like, you can go to Canada because they're so nice. It won't be hostile. It won't be, it's not, <laughs> it's not home court advantage. Don't worry about it. Go to Canada. It can be, it can be in Toronto. And they said, um, because in the U S they have so many sports stars that, Michael Johnson somewhat lost in the field. Look, you got fucking, in the 90s, what, we're talking Michael Jordan? We're talking, um, you know, you think about some of these 90s sporting stars. Mike Tyson was fighting at the time. It's like, Michael, you're, in terms of the American market and shit, like, you're going to be a much bigger deal if you go to Canada. More eyeballs are going to be on it. You stay in here, you're going to get kind of lost in the shuffle. You're track and field, my friend, and it's not an Olympic year. So Michael Johnson's like, all right, cool. He, he goes to Canada. Now, here's the difference. And this is where you might, you might agree with me when it comes to the Australia rivalry. Canada's like, well, that's good. That's good for you guys. You got Michael Johnson. You got, or sorry, you got Michael Jordan, Michael Johnson, Mike Tyson, all these fucking Michaels in the 90s, right? But you got all these stars. We got Donovan Bailey, playboy. You understand me? You know how many Olympic gold medals we got coming out of those Olympics? Yeah, like one. Okay? How many of you guys got? Like, too many to count. You're not even thinking about it. So for you, this isn't that big of a deal. For us, you, and you're trying to yeah. take it away, this is everything. Michael Johnson, I read his autobiography. I love autobiographies of athletes. He said he stepped off the airplane, and he said Canadians, like 55-year-old mothers of three, were like, fuck 
you. You piece of <laughs> shit. He's like, what the shit? And he looked like the kids are flipping him off. Like, hey, bye. They're like flipping him off. Like, get back on your plane. You're going to get your ass kicked. And he's like, what the shit? This is not how Canadians are supposed to be. Long story short, um, they ran. Who do you think won, Playboy? I want to say Canada. Yeah, I got us to put the underdog, right? <laughs> That's it. Because also, I just already pre-set up this story that it's like New Zealand's like Canada, right? I, right. So you're like, but uh, yeah, Donovan Bailey won, and um, whatever he it was a financially didn't super work out, but you, because it was only like a 15 second race. But you better bet your ass. I remember I was a kid at the time. Every fucking household. It was like it was like COVID had hit because there's nobody in the streets. Everybody was inside, tuned in, watching this thing, and I mean everybody. And in the U.S., there was some people, but they had other sports and shit they were probably tuned into that's just as big. But um, so I know what you mean when you say like it's friendly. They're your neighbors, dude. We literally have like every business, every relations, like a, a corporation has a Canadian and American branch if it's big enough. Like it's you're so intertwined with music and culture and sports, every league, everything, man. Like all, all your, like the Toronto Maple Leafs have tons of Americans and tons of American teams of Canadians. It's so intertwined, you'd be a hypocrite to try to be have any kind of real beef. It's the same culture, basically. However, um, the odd time, the odd time, you know, something sparks up. So I 100% get when you say, you know, like when you guys are growing up, who was a big sporting star that you guys looked up to when you were coming up? From New Zealand. Oh, John Alomo. Uh, so there was there was this rugby player named John Alomo, um, and there's a there was a really bad documentary released about him recently, um, which is just not not very factual at all. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, <laughs> but there was this there was this rugby player named John Alomo, and so uh, and he was you know he he was the rock star of the rugby world. He um, so he was I want to say he was over 120 kilos, but but don't quote me on that. I want to say he was about 130 kilos. And like his his hundred meter sprint time was like eleven seconds or eleven and a half seconds or something, and so like the amount of momentum on this man is just phenomenal. And I have this really distinct memory. I must have only been like six years old of um of watching. So John Alamu catches the ball um and he runs with it and he's and he's running and I, I think we we're playing I want to against England and um and so he's running and fast up the field and some guy goes to tackle him and like catches him around the waist and he and he hits him and John Loma doesn't even slow down he's just still going and then another guy hits him and another guy hits him and, and he's got like two guys hanging off his waist the one guy hanging off each of his legs and he's still going and like he eventually makes it over the try line and I and I remember watching that as a kid and being like that is the coolest thing I have ever seen <laughs> I got chills just you know what there's nothing like Sports does that to you, though, and it imprints on you. When you're watching, you're like, oh, God, man. You just don't want your hero. Like, not that he can let you down. As long as he gives 100%, as long as he doesn't show show fear, cowardice, or back up. Just don't back up an inch. I don't care if you lose. Just don't back up. And you stand yeah. up. And when you, like, visually see a dude, like, he's wearing a dude like a fucking fanny pack and still running down the, the field. And, and they're they're like jumping on him and, and he's, they're hanging off of him and he's still chugging down the field fighting for every step until he crosses that line. There's something that'll hit you, you know, and you're like, man, I'm, you, I'm never going to forget this. That was that was 20 years ago 
And I'm not, I'm like, I'm not a huge rugby fan. If there's a game on, I'll watch it, but, but I don't go out of my way to watch it. And, and that just that one memory of that one play. Yeah. And I have a super distinct memory of that one thing. Yeah. So it, show John Alamo. And him right now, like if someone to show up in New Zealand, and like they're an outsider, okay? They're a tourist. Hey, 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 let me spice it up. Oh, fucking American. Okay? Now let me spice it up cocky American kid, okay? On college spring break, showed up in New Zealand, he's on the, he's, he's at the fucking bar beach, all right? He's had a couple, he's had a couple in him. He's getting a little cocky with the waitress and he starts talking shit about him. <laughs> what happens to him right now? Tell me what happens to him. Tell me the story I want to hear. Don't tell me the PG story. He's dead, isn't he? He's dead, isn't he? The smiles leave. The knives come. Yeah, yeah the, the smiles would, would go down real fast. Um, <laughs> I, I want to say a lot of a lot of phones would come out with with you know videos of, of various plays of um you know him being super humble in interviews you know oh no it's a team effort like yeah I got the try but but I wouldn't have been able to get the try without without the other guys around me supporting me so you know he was he wasn't just a player he was also like a like a team player Dude. and I think all of that would get busted out and like you, you yeah that's... it's 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 man it's so funny the way you describe this dude is just like a freaking Canadian. That he talks, you know it's awkward as shit. So Kafwi is uh, the co-host here. I mean, he hasn't been here because he's um, obviously on quarantined, whatever. But um, he was he broke the IPF world record for deadlifts in '83 kilo at the World Championships in Sweden, and a Swede took it at right after him. And then, like a month later, they were kind of getting something going with trash talk on social media about who's going to end up with that world record. And it is just like you would expect a Canadian and a Swede shit talking. They're like, well, I don't know, buddy. Your, your lift was pretty, pretty clean. Maybe you're going to get it. Wow, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> after you. And it was like, you guys got to stop. You don't have to do this. You're doing it wrong. You, if this is shit talking, you're doing it wrong. You, you literally, I was excited for the showdown until you started shit talking. Stop it. Stop it. Okay, you're killing, you're killing this, right? I'm actually a fan of yours, bro. I'm a fan of yours too, man. It's like stop, man. But uh, but yeah, if in uh, in Canada we got some people like that, GSP George St. Pierre is one of them. Yeah. Um, even though Canada is like a fraction of the population in, in like you know thirty five million, he was like breaking pay per view record sales. And Dana White's like it's crazy. When we first start putting on pay per views, we're like oh, there's not a massive like we the, the percentage of Canadians we'd have to get to tune in would ha- would be ridiculous. So I don't know how good he's gonna fare. And then he turned up being like the number one boy. And he's like, holy shit, does Canada rally around their sports people? Uh, yeah, ask Michael Johnson if that'll happen. You know what I mean? And obviously Wayne Gretzky literally has statues and streets named after him. And um, you talk shit the wrong night, it'd be a fist fight. You got to be careful. Like, unless, unless you're big up in Mario Lemieux or some shit, another Canadian hockey player. I, I think that happens a lot with small countries, right? Like at the last Olympics, we had a, we had a, one of our track and field stars, um, Eliza McCartney, she came, she came third in the pole vault. Um, and she jumped like 4.3 meters or something, which is, you know, an insane jump. And, and it was, and it broke, I want to say it broke all the junior world records. It broke the, like the Oceania open record. And it, it, it was only a few centimeters off the best jump. And like, everybody knows her name in New Zealand. And, and she came, she came third at the Olympics with like a very good pole vault, but, but she came third. It was like, in America, there was you. You would never get that right. Like if you're not, if you're not winning, it's, it's it's nothing. Yeah, 
you, you know what's funny? So, um, talking about, uh, I remember, so like hockey's one thing Canada has got. Whenever the Olympics, when the Olympics let the NHL players, the pro NHL players play in the, in the Olympics, we won three out of four Olympics. All right. Mm-hmm. So that's how good Ken is at hockey. And I remember, again, I was working for like a, a, a company when we had like an, a bunch of American offices and talking to one of my colleagues from the U.S. And um, my man's was like, uh, I forget who they were playing, the American team. And they lost and now they were going to play for bronze. And he's like, yeah, but you know, fuck it. Like, if it ain't gold, you know, who gives a shit? And I remember thinking like, not when it's hockey though, bro. You really can't say that, can you? And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, my man. I mean, don't make me bust out some stats for you, but that's really not your goal to win or lose, right? Like, you, you, what are we talking about here? And, he's, and it was like, that. that's one of those deals. Everyone's, it's kind of like you said, if you got a sport, it's yours. And then if you don't have a shitload of Olympians coming back with medals, you come back with a bronze medal. My man, you ain't never buying another beer in your life. You, yeah, you, you listen, you, you show up at a, if, if fucking Wayne Gretzky shows up at a restaurant, do you think he's paying George, George Shavalo fought Muhammad Ali twice, once in the 60s, once in the 70s. The guy's still alive today. It's 2020. And I seen an interview with him. This is George Shavalo, right? He's a Canadian heavyweight champion. He didn't win the world. He didn't beat Ali, of course. But um, he's like, they were like, so how are you treated around town in Toronto? He's like, I haven't bought a meal or a beer since the 60s, my friend. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, it's just not heard of. It just won't happen. Some people are like, nah, you're good. It's just the way you're going to get taken care of. But um, is it, quick question, because I don't, I don't, I don't want to skip along timeline too much, but it kind of, I, I wonder, because Brett came around when he did, because um, it's a little early in the jump. The IPF went raw 2000. 2012, they had the Rock Cup. wasn't really the World Championships. It was a tester because before that, it was only equipped. So, wow, boom goes the dynamite. That thing took off. 2013, they had the first Raw World Championships. And I think Brett won 2013 or 14 as a junior. And then in the Open 2015, he won homeboy from Columbia, pissed hot, etc. The point I'm making, it's not really so much Brett's resume, like when... But the fact that he was so early on, and um, and just when raw powerlifting was starting to make a go, Brett was one of the stars real quick. How impactful was that for New Zealand to have a guy who's out there swinging with the big boys worldwide on, in a sport like that in terms of make, popularizing powerlifting in New Zealand? Unfortunately, it didn't have uh, quite the impact I would have liked it to have um, because powerlifting is such a small sport. Like the New Zealand Powerlifting Federation has five or 600 registered members or something. Um, and so even, even when we have someone punching so far above our weight, like so far above our weight, like, like Brett, uh, like Evie, uh, like Tim Monagatti, like those people don't get the, don't get the media attention that would really be required to have an impact on the total size of the sport. And so for the people who are already in the sport, it's really cool to, for them to be able to see, New Zealand going to the world championships and holding our own against countries of like, like America has a population of 150 times us. Right. And so to have, have the New Zealand chat be able to go toe to toe with the American chat and, and have it, have it be a thing. Like that's huge for those of us who are already in the sport. But if you're not already involved in powerlifting, you probably wouldn't even know it was happening. Really? So like, here's the thing. L- let me say something though. Yeah. 100%. It's not mainstream over here neither. 
However, when you start having stars emerging, look, look, Russell Orhe isn't making the U.S. Um, mainstream. But because of Russell Orhe and social media and, and how social media runs, like Brett coming from a place like that and having all the social media presence that he does in the live stream and everything, there's got to be people, if you're at all interested in Jim Gober and you hear, oh, did you hear about this guy from New Zealand? And you just watch the live stream or you just hop on social media and now you're following. It doesn't have to be through the, the mainstream. Look at powerlifting. This is, the, this is one thing that powerlifting has got. We are so creative in with, with how we do it. We get no love from like the, the sponsors like Coca-Cola, Gatorade and, and Nike and shit like that. We get no love from like Sports Illustrated or, you know, ESPN and shit. It's like crazy if they repost us. Um, but we, we can, man, we get, look how many millions of views we get likes and whatnot on social media. He's got to be an impactful. Because I'll tell you what, man. I know people in North America who are all like, man, Brett Gibbs, Brett Gibbs. Who you want to be? I remember asking somebody in a 20, 2016 World Championships when I was a commentator. I was like, who's your rider? Who you want to be like? And he's like, Brett Gibbs. And this is a kid from, this is a kid from, like, I forget. It wasn't the U.S. because he's going head to head with Hack. And that probably would be blasphemy. But he, wherever the hell the kid was from. It was like Brett Gibbs. So maybe not social media, maybe, sorry, maybe not mainstream media, but I'm sure the fact, if you were at all involved with like weightlifting in the gym and you were going to check out a live stream or you're going to hop on social media, you'd be like, you would have to have heard of him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, for people who are on social media, he, yeah, he's, he's, he's in a lot of places. Um, actually, I was at a, I was doing a contract job at a, um, at a, at a, software startup and and we were in this co-working space and i was sitting typing away i don't know i was making a report or something and i heard some guy behind me um just like a, like a couple of rows back and he's like oh yeah i used, used to know this guy got brett from the gym i heard he deadlifted like oh like nearly 300 kilos and i was like hold on a second um, <laughs> what no shit man uh, so yeah that was, that was pretty cool yeah it's pretty wild when you hear somebody talk about powerlifting like people talk about powerlifting i should say if they get specific and mention a name and you're like how the hell do you know that person and it's so yeah you break up and you're like what say word (laughs) or if they're gonna talk about it they're like you they come to you immediately if they know you're into powerlifting and they're like you gotta know it because and we would right but um it's so it's also funny how for us like it's funny when i talk to some people and they talk about certain powerlifters and people within powerlifting like the famous. Oh, man, he's so famous. She's so famous. She does. You hear what he did? He's got this many followers. She's got that many, whatever the shit. And in real life, it's like, oh, love. Yeah. That doesn't, like, that's like, like, <laughs> but when you've been around long enough, you know, like, yeah, not, there's nobody famous in powerlifting, right? Famous for powerlifting, like, isn't, isn't that famous? No, man. This is like, uh, within our community, though, our community is worldwide. And there's, a, there's, if when you when you cluster us all in one spot for two weeks, like yeah. at IPF Worlds, it'll feel holy shit. You, you know, it's a special event. But that feeling walking around like downtown Helsingborg last last year in Sweden was was unreal. Like, how many people live in Helsingborg? Like, like fifty thousand or something. And then two thousand powerlifters and coaches and 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 various support people flood into this town. And so you're walking down the street and you're like. Oh, there's there's Russell Lawhe. Oh, look, it's it's Je- Jessica Bernard. Oh, look, it's uh, Ryan Ryan Lapidat. Yeah. Um, you, know, like, you didn't say it. nobody's ever said that, but that's fine. You you'd be <laughs> like, oh, who, who the fuck? Excuse me, sir. Are you selling hot dogs? 
Oh, <laughs> you're like, excuse me, sir. Are you the bellhop? Here's my bags. Jolly good. Take, take it up to my room. Here's my room key. Um, no, but uh, no, I know what you mean because it's yeah. For it's it's a weird for anyone who hasn't been to like the world. And there's another thing that doesn't ever get old for me. I know I say it enough times, but it is true. You go to a local competition. It's one thing. When you go to the world championships, and it's people from all over the world have flown in. And, uh-huh. and it, what makes it special with that is if it's Belarus, Sweden, or whatever the shit, you are a complete outcast in terms of that community, except everybody that you know from online that you saw is in the exact same shoes. So that makes you yeah. even tighter. All of a sudden, it's me, you, and because I don't know what I'm doing. I can't, if it's Belarus, I can't even speak the language. I can't read what's going on, whatever. And so that 2,000 people comes even more of a click. So when, oh, you're, absolutely. when you're walking down the street, you're even more of a click. And everyone else in town is like, what the shit is going on? There was a mm-hmm. lot of jacked young men and women walking around here. And it's, um, and yeah, it's like, it, you know, you walk down the grocery store or whatever the shit, like no one really cares about powerlifting. They couldn't care less. But when you, for those two weeks, everybody you know is like, ah, man, what's up? Oh my God. Everyone's talking to each other and catching up. It's, it's a crazy feeling. And you're like, wow. That's a, that's really hard to describe. Hey, it's like um, it's like Coachella for meatheads. Um, and there's, <laughs> and there's just like this, this two weeks that's just like the best two weeks of the year. You, you just said it was hard to describe and then you fucking nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> it is Coachella for meatheads, man. Um, so when you started, how did you end up finding powerlifting? Uh, so I was lifting in the university gym uh, because I was I was young and angsty and, and couldn't do martial arts. Um, and I was really, I was just fucking around. I didn't know what I was doing, but at least I was I was kind of moving and, and doing something. Um, and I met this guy in the gym who um, also later became one of the New Zealand team coaches, uh, Angus Blair. And he convinced me to do a powerlifting meet. He was like, oh, yeah, just, you know, just show up and have fun. And I did it. And that was in sort of like June 2014, I think. Um, and I did that first competition and I was fucking hooked. Um, and like I, I did, I did, I did one competition and all thought of finding another martial arts school just, just disappeared. Um, and, and I was like, man, when's the, when's the next meet? When can I lift again? Um, and you know, and that was, that was basically it. It's something like bitten bitten by the iron bug as, as a real thing. What do you think it was like for you when you were like, I mean, I remember when I first started powerlifting and it's like a whole it was, it's like a whole world opened up to me. I was like, holy, this is, especially when you start like researching like technique in terms of, oh, if I get my foot pointed and my toes in this direction and like you start low bar, high bar, oh shit, well look at this setup. You start tinkering things and start getting obsessed with numbers and you start seeing the numbers fly. You're stronger than you ever thought you would be. All of a sudden you get stronger than like everybody, all your friends and shit. You're like, oh wow, man, this is, this is really going to happen like that. And then you start meeting people and um, the thrill of that competition before when you before like the night before the butterflies are like, oh, whoa, I care about this. I I tried to be Mm -hmm. like just squatting and benching, just like the gym, yeah, just like the gym. And then, you know, no different. Whatever. Gravity is gravity. The night before you're like, this isn't like the gym. This is (laughs) not going to be like the gym. But but, but you love it. But afterwards, you know, yeah, man, I'm not sure. What do you think it was for you? 
there was there was a little bit of camaraderie. So it was a it was a university run event, and and so all of the people that I lifted with in the gym were also there, and so that was cool. I was it was actually in my gym. Um, except they set up the basketball court, like the sort of multi-purpose training area, and they set it up with a platform and spotters and loaders and stuff. And so we would warm up in the main gym area, and then when we would run up this massive stairwell and like across this hallway and like down some stairs into the into this area, and we would we would do our lifting there. And so it was it was maybe 20 of us and it was all of the people that I regularly trained with and and I benched like 115 kilos and I was like on top of the world and I saw some dude bench like 130 and I was like that's so cool I'm gonna do that one day uh, not realizing that that was actually not <laughs> like like by the standards that I have now that was that was not shit but at the time at the time I was looking at it and I was like man one day I want to be that strong I want to beat that guy yeah. it's so funny um, it's tough man once you start like I, I remember talking to my buddy who's like he's locked down Paul actually who does some of the co-hosting sometimes and he um he's like man right now he's got some dumbbells and shit and he's got whatever and he's like you 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 just you can't go back like before this I was the same I did like the bro lifts whatever where you just like yeah it's arm day it's leg day it's shoulder day back day whatever yeah. and um once you start powerlifting you're chasing numbers even just like even if it's not chasing them, even if it's off season throwing some weight on your back yeah you walk that out and you're like and like the feeling afterwards after a dead session hands glued back everything's fried up and you're like oh yeah that was i put in something about like i got after it you know i got after it today i feel it. i feel fatigued my nervous system's properly fatigued not over but you could tell you shifted some some damn weight today and there's something about that where it's like you get a pump but it's it's so much better than just that pump isn't it for me, it's always been bench press. So like even even when I've, you know, it's been it's been two days after a meet, haven't got a new program yet. I'm just going to the gym and like doing some movement. I go to the gym and I'm like, what are we going to do today? And I'm like looking around and there's the leg press and there's like the, the preacher curl station. And I'm like, I'm going to fucking bench press. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> Why do you think it's a bench press? Oh, I don't know. Um, I, I, it's just always been, been the lift I've gravitated to. Um I, I don't know. It's like it's 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 it seems so simple. Like it's 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 one movement. You move. You go through a range of motion for like two joints. Um, when you do it well, you do exactly the same movement. You know, twenty, thirty, forty times a day, hundreds of times in a week or a month. Um, and yet somehow it's been years, and like I still still like oh man, if I can just. If I can just get my elbows to consistently get to that right point, if I can just make sure that I get the pressure through the outside of my hands instead of through the inside of my hands, like everything's <laughs> going to be going to be so much better. Like, oh, what if I try pausing on my chest for four seconds instead of three seconds for my long count count bench? Is like, is that going to make it make a difference to what I can press? Is it's it, like mastery over this this one tiny thing that it's, yeah, it's it's so wild. Like, if you take it back, for instance, like we were talking about earlier with jujitsu, and there's like. So many small details about like an arm bar. It's just a yeah. flat out arm bar. And that's one move. And there's a million different ways to hit an arm bar from a million different positions. And there's mil- you could not overanalyze when you grab his arm, the pressure on the outside of your palm or the inside of your palm. You will get nowhere. If, yeah. if when people in the real world, like, and I just use that as you like use whatever sport that is far more complex than three lifts, which is, every other sport except for Olympic weightlifting. Um, you know, talk, like, they'll listen to us talk like that. 
if, yep. if I just fucking get the my elbow angle a little different, did you see that bar path on my fucking bench? How'd that look? And you start talking like, you start talking like, no, but it's like a degree. No, but seriously, man, there's like a degree more. Did you notice that? Did you notice like, the velocity of that bar was a little different? My, my left arm locked out like like. 0.1 of a second before my right arm. I'm so imbalanced at the moment. <laughs> and you're like, no, Rick, it happened, bro. It matters. And people hear us talking like, what the fuck are you talking about? These like, guys are literally insane. Like, you guys are losing your damn mind. And it's crazy how you can fall in that rabbit hole and be like, I analyze the shit out of things. And uh, it's uh, like we become OCD, don't we? Absolutely. Oh, I mean, and, and, and I'm such a, such a perfectionist about equipment as well. I'm busting out my tape measure and I'm like, oh yeah, my bench today was, the reason it felt so good is this bench is two centimeters higher than that bench over there. And so my butt got super planted, but what if it's all in my head because the bench is different? No, no, that's when you really, you, you're going to go through all what you just said about, you know, and then it's a little higher, it's a little width. You know what I noticed about the cushion on that bench? It's just a little harder so I don't sink in. And you know what else I noticed? And you're going to think about that bench like a yeah. motherfucker. It's just like that. You lay down on bed at night, put your head in your pillow and you're like, oh my God, what if it's all in my head? <laughs> and then the whole world, your whole world just poof, you're like, oh yep. my fucking god! I gotta try a different bench now, <laughs> right? Now I, 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 I gotta I, do that same thing again, but on yeah. that lower off the bench where I'm, where like my shoulders fit on better, and like, ah, uh, yeah. You, you, you. I look in your room, and it's like you're chasing a serial killer. We have so many plots and uh, so many those like <laughs> string attached to those sticky points on the wall. And you're like, look, at I got here's where here's where we're at, Ryan. I got ten benches, three of them soft, three of them hard. Three of them at this height. Yo, we got to work this out. Um, are you with me? I got some Excel spreadsheets. We're going to start that collecting data. That's exactly what my gym is like. There's this, there's this one bench, which is almost exactly comp spec. Um, except that, and there's another bench, which has these tippy arms on it. So when I'm doing a quick bench, I like the, 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 the tippy arms. So I don't have to ask people to give me, you know, multiple handoffs at like 180 kilos. Yeah. Except that bench is, you know, this much higher. So I'm like, oh, today, do I want to ask people for handoffs every 10 minutes for three hours? Or... Do I want to get on the tippy bench, be able to do it safely by myself, but also I don't know if I'm really doing it to comp spec or if, or if the equipment's like just tricking me into thinking that I'm doing it to comp, comp spec. Do you do, would you do a quit 180 kilo? But would you, bench. you do that solo off a tippy bench with no one there? That's not- I, I have done. It was probably not the smartest idea, but I had like, I had solid safety set up. There's the, there's the tippy okay. thing. Like, I, yeah. If you got sight safeties, you know, that's a bit of a bit of a bitch move, but that's fine. Have you seen the um, <laughs> big metal ones that Ray started squatting with with the big um like um those we've got a set of something quite like that in my gym. Um and so I tend to use those when I'm benching alone because yeah, I mean, I just imagine someone finding it on the camera, like like a, like a couple of weeks later, and be like, oh, look, Rory got pinned under that bench for you, 20 minutes before he managed to wiggle out of it safely. That's how a powerlifting gets famous. Double <laughs> back on that. That's how you go viral and get famous, my friend. Um, so do you, what do you, how do you feel about equipped lifting? Uh, I think it's just a different beast from raw lifting. It's... Um, like, I, I like it. I like watching it. I don't relate to it as quite as much as I relate to raw lifting. Um, I, I think of it like the equivalent of high jump and pole vault. Like you can, they're kind of similar. Both of them, the goal is to get over the highest highest bar possible or lift the most weight possible. Um, but you can't you can't look at a high jumper and be like, oh yeah, I mean, if he was brave enough to to use a pole, 
um, which I've definitely heard a quick lift to say, oh, you know, if you weren't, weren't afraid of the pain, you could you could bench so much more. Um, and I'm and I'm sure that high jumpers don't go, oh, I'm I'm more hardcore because I jump by myself instead of having this piece of equipment that does all of the jumping for me. Um, it's just it's just a different beast. And if you like one or the other, then that's great. And yeah, I'm not. See, I'm. I remember when I first started, IPF was only equipped, and um, so I was lifting in like whatever other fed had a competition because I was not into a sh- like when I when I saw. Like the dudes I'll train with were IPF. I just saw the bench shirt and I'm like, not only like I just had absolutely no inclination to even try it. Like, why? What are you like again? Are you worried you might blow up? I'm like, it's just why am I wearing something that's as crazy as that looking to increase artificially increase my bench? But you're gonna do the same. So we'll see who gets the most out of our shirt. And they're like, no, but you try to get the most out of your shirt. And I'm like. I don't care if you get more out of your shirt than I do. I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I don't, I just couldn't, I'm like, I don't get it. So then when I have people- another, another aspect of mastery, right? Like it's, it's going, right. okay, well, both of us have the access to the same equipment, but because I have a better feel for where the, where the right bar path is and where to touch it and, and how to adjust the shirt so that I get the most out of it. Like by, by mastering that shirt, I get more out of it. It isn't like a passive carryover. And so through training myself to learn what the shirt feels like and the right place to touch and, and the right way to adjust it. Like I, that mastery is what, what helps you lift more. And so then I can be like, okay, yeah, I'm stronger and have better mastery over this piece of equipment than another guy. And therefore I'm better at him than a quick bench press or worse at him than a quick bench press. Right. And that's where I initially was like, um, so you have to want to master something for the sake of mastering it. And yes. I was like, yeah, and I was like, I, I don't care if I'm good or not in a bench shirt. I just, you know, that's the thing where they would try to sell me on that. And I'd be like, yeah, but I, I don't, uh, but you've got to be in on that. Otherwise you're like, because it might be, what if two guys are equally strong, but the other guy just got better at the bench shirt then he's going to win. And I'm like, yeah, I just don't care. But, um, so for a long time, that was the case. Right. And so you would have to lift in like other feds, smaller feds. But then once the IPF went raw, everybody jumped shit from all the other feds and jumped into the IPF. And when you have IPF lifters on who around at the time, they say there wasn't any other powerlifting. There was only equipped. Well, sort of. There was other feds. We got to pretend. We can pretend. Now, it, they weren't as big as the IPF, but it also wasn't the case like it is now where um, they, they were, there was such a crazy discrepancy because there was people who were like, I don't want to lift equipped. So I'm going to lift like Lane Norton or whatever the shit who are lifting in all these other feds because you ain't got no choice, man. If you want to lift, period, that's what you got to do. And then as soon as the IPF goes raw, everybody's jumping shit from these other feds and win IPF. Thank God they did. I mean, rest is history. Yeah. When did you start end up um, coaching? How did you, how do you, how do you in New Zealand, like, because it's, it's an art. And, you know, we talked about it last podcast with, with Bill and with Arian. And I got a lot of feedback, people posting in the stories, but also in DMs being like, a lot of people don't realize, especially if you've been powerlifting two, three, four years, everything that goes into handling. It's not just the stronger person wins. It's not just, you got five kilos in you, then we go five kilos. You got to make some some judgments. There is some strategy involved. There is gamesmanship involved. Um, it's not as complex as jujitsu or chess, but it isn't checkers. And if it's just, yeah. if you walk in there and you just are like, I'll just ask, ask my guy or girl how many more to load up 
and the stronger person prevails, you're at a massive disadvantage if you don't know what you're doing. Oh, absolutely. If you... I, so how I got into that is, is kind of complicated and a lot of luck was involved. Um, but in, in 2016, the Asia Oceania Championships were held in Christchurch, New Zealand, um, which, is a, which is a city way far south in, in, in New Zealand. And that was a massive powerlifting meet because they combined the Asia Powerlifting Championships with the Asia Bench Press Championships with the Oceania Bench Press Championships and the Oceania Powerlifting Championships. Um, and so that was the first meet that I was at where there was like over a thousand lifters and it, and it took place over six days or eight days or something. And it was kind of creepy because it was in this church and there was sort of like lots of judgy photos of, of um, like saints and Jesus and stuff looking at us lift. Um, and so I was really lucky that we went to that and because it was in New Zealand, New Zealand sent a full team. And so we had, you know, maxed out sub juniors, maxed out juniors, maxed out open. And so we had this massive demand for coaches. And so I was there because I was lifting in the um, bench only and, and also the three lift as a junior. And I was at, so I was right at the beginning of the week and then right at the beginning of the powerlifting. Um, so I, like, I think I lifted on the first day and the third day, um, which is a bad idea, by the way. My bench tanked by the third, by the third day. Um, but then there was like six more days after I finished lifting where there was this huge demand for coaches and nowhere near enough coaches to be able to do it all. And so, so I was in this position where I was available there was decent lifting happening and the classes were deep enough that strategy actually was important. And, and it was just like, it was in my home country and, and it was this demand for people. And so I, so I jumped in and started helping people out. And um, I think with the 63 kilo juniors that year, our B team 63, we, we sent an A team and a B team and the B team was supposed to just be for fun. And, um, and, and I jumped in to help with the 63 kilo B team lifter. And um, we beat the 63 kilo A team lifter purely by making better, better decisions. I think, I think we went eight for nine, they went five for nine or something. And so we won by two and a half kilos and you know, the nominated totals were 40 kilos apart or 50 kilos apart or something. And on, on a 63 kilo junior, that's, you know, that's, that's an, that's an insurmountable gap typically. And so, and then I did that and we won because, uh, I mean, we got, we got second overall loss to an Australian um, and, and the B and the 18 New Zealand that came fourth. And I was like, that was real fun. Um, and so, so that was, that was my introduction. It's me. Um, I swear to God, if, if some people lift in mostly local competitions, they don't know because you said it's gotta be deep competition. If it's not deep, if it's not like five, six people real close and it's like that. Yeah. You will it, it, strategizing out the window. is just, let's just max out. And sometimes, um, you know, the, on the, on the, untested side of in terms of powerlifting you don't always get deep competition sometimes you know because they, they don't have one single fed that everyone's gonna cluster under come the world championships they don't even have really a world championships that they do that with um they have the u.s open but it's it's lost a lot of its major lifters so the head-to-head showdowns are fewer and fewer and it's just like any weapon the less you use it the less you train with it you know, it's just not that sword's not going to be quite as sharp. So sometimes when I hear people minimizing handling, I, I like I ask myself, how many battles have you taken that weapon into? Then you you just yeah. if I'm looking for someone to handle me, don't tell me how how long you've been powerlifting, don't tell me how long you've been programming, tell me how many major major competitions. Uh, basically, I want to hear have you have you coached at an event like U.S. Raw Nationals, IPF Worlds were. It's 10 people deep. It's so fucking thick. Two and a half kilo, five kilo can drop you. I mean, you could fall down on body weight and drop four or five placings. 
and it's and then they're strategizing like you don't even know. And there's so many move, moves and maneuvers. And when people say the stronger stronger person's gonna win and whatever the shit, then that's all I need to know. It, I, I've had people DM me saying like, "What's the big deal? Uh, stronger person's gonna win." And I'm like, I'll debate them for like a minute or two. Or like back and forth in the DMs and in King of Lifts, if you're wondering. Sometimes you shoot some shit at me, I'll go back at you if I don't got nothing better to do. Some people are like, oh shit, I didn't think you would come back at me. Well, first, if you shit talking, no. But if we're actually sports debating, yeah, I'll fuck with you. Let's 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 do it. I got if it, if it's a Thursday evening, I got nothing to do. Let's rock and roll. And but if it's if the person's just not getting it, I just mean yeah, I just it's funny. I just made a pup. I just reposted. It's like man, I, honestly, if I can't. I don't respect your opinion. I'm not even going to debate you after that. If you honestly don't know the difference, if you don't, then it's like you don't, I don't care how long you've been in powerlifting or whatever you, you, you handle. I've handled like 15 meets. What meets? Local yeah, meets. What meets? Yeah. When people say, and this is the shit, this, this is what it is. This is what sparks the conversation. When people say, um, yeah, they broke the record at a local meet. In some federations, you know, all-time records, you could break an all-time record at a local meet. At a local gym, mm-hmm. at a local whatever the shit. And I'm like, God damn, there's not only with a federation like the IPF where you have to have international judges. So you're you're in New Zealand, you can't have a local meet in all the New Zealand judges and oh guess what, guys? We just destroyed a hundred world records over the weekend. All New Zealand judges and testing in the whole night. It's like, well, is there video? Nah, we didn't have a live stream, but we had judging. What do you want from us? No, it's not that. You have to have like you have to fly people in internationally and they're gonna judge. Not only that though, once you get international and there's actual competition around, you don't just have home cooking. You don't just load the bar with whatever the shit. It's a whole nother ball game. And uh, Absolutely. when I when I say things like this, like I see specifically people in other feds just hitting local meets or hitting smaller meets and breaking world records and they're like, it's amazing, there's a great competition. It's like Look at sports isn't me watching just exhibitions where you're just going unopposed and we're just yeah. running up a tally. Like, I want to see head-to-head matchups in a fucking coach means something. Not your programming coach, but the, the guy or girl who's on the sideline holding the clipboard. And, and yes, there's clipboards, man. At the world level, you know I know the top five in their last percentage oh, for spots. Their last percentages for deads. I know how yep. often they hit, how often they miss, what what we can. I know what they were hitting in the gym, what the body weight was at. If they're dumb enough to put it up, mm-hmm. dog. People think it's like funny when we say this, but it's like if you don't know that, you're not a handler, you're not a coach. Sit down. You, yeah. you, this isn't. This is. This is not the same league. I mean, I, I, I was preparing for Sheffield right before Sheffield was cancelled, and I had, I had every piece of information from every meet for the last two years for every competitor. I had the ratio, how many average squats, benches, deadlifts they went, how many total they went, if there was a correlation between the number of squats they missed and the number of deadlifts they missed, like the average ratio between the third successful deadlift and the first successful deadlift. Like, like I had, I had everything and, and it was, and I had it compiled into this report. I had my clipboard. I had my Excel spreadsheet that was automatically calculating what I needed to beat any given total on IPF points. Like, you can't you can't do that and then go oh yeah but like I this person totaled more in this local meet like I don't care like did he do that fighting off six other people Dude. like after flying across eight time zones and like 
like that's just that's just not even the same game, right? Like you're 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 playing basketball on like your garage with the with the hoop above your your garage door and being like, oh yeah, I sh- I shoot a better ratio than than somebody who's who's playing in an actual game. Like it's it's not even the same thing. That, it's fucking apples and oranges, man. It, it shouldn't even be compared. That's why it kills me when some people like. If, if I just see you on the sidelines and you're just holding those little tent cards and you ain't even got a clipboard, you don't do none of this, man. Don't tell me you do. And I hear people like, I, I, yeah, I know. I know how to get a guy warmed up, girl warmed up. What do you like? You're like, you know, one play, two play, three play. I'm like, what the fuck? It's <laughs> like, if that's what you think a handler does, yeah, I just yeah. get out my way. And I, I don't mean I'm when I'm doing my thing, you know, I really don't need a whole lot of hands-on handling, though, because I just, you know, I know what I want for warming up. Just tell me how many people out that's the smallest piece. If that's all you think it, you need as a lifter, then you probably aren't at a level. Maybe you're in a fed where you may never see this. There are some feds. I'm not talking shit. Some people will be like, you're an IPF shield. I, I cause it like I seize it, man. There's a reason why you can add up every single fed together and the lifters don't add up to the IPF like overall. And when it's that deep a competition and you throw people head to head like that, you can't show up like you... You get bumped down by making a silly mistake. You misload the bar, or just you don't, you're just not playing the averages. It's it's literally like um, you know I'm, I use fighting analogy a lot because I'm into the fighting sports, but it is literally like there's high percentage submissions, there's high percentage moves, there's low percentage moves, and then when you know what your opponent's going to do, likely you don't play into that game. So you like you said, when you're loading the bar for squats, you may or may not do a risky move or not because you know, and if they miss their third. You're like, okay, well, percentage-wise, they usually start missing their second and whatever for later on in terms of deadlifts. And it's it's just too it's too complex to dumb it down like that, man. It kills me when people talk like that. There's a couple people listening who have DM'd me, and I want I hope they listen to this podcast right now because I'm like, my brother from another mother. But um, so when you started getting involved in that, and you ended up pulling pulling these feats like, hey, we took our B squad and we defeated the A squad that on nominations with a 50 kilo difference, this is like a Disney movie. You understand? This is like the movie, The Replacements with Keanu Reeves. Um, when you got that bite. So take me from there when you started deciding, I want to start doing this on the international level and start swinging into the, in the big leagues. Okay, so there, there's two streams here. Um, and I'm, I'm going to talk about both of them because they, they both lead into it. So uh, my, my degree, I've got an honors degree in bioengineering and, and part of that led me into the sports tech company. And what the sports tech company did was um, make automated coaching for endurance athletes. So, so I would go to work and I would figure out how to make Ironman faster and stronger and less prone to breaking. And you know everything was about getting, getting an Ironman down to an eight hour Ironman um, and, and figuring out how to automate that so that I could, I could look at their, their, you know, their heart rate training data and detect when they were overtraining versus undertraining, and then tell them whether to push it harder or or chill out more or do more training or whatever needed to be done. And then I would go home and I would I would I would get online and I would, I would look at powerlifting mates and I'd be like, oh yeah, okay, so this person, okay, so I watched that squat and then I watched and be like, okay, so if I saw that squat, I would I would say they have five more kilos and then watch what actually happens. Um, and so there was, there was that going on. And so I spent a lot of time at work sitting with this group of really smart people talking about endurance athletes and, and how to train endurance athletes. And uh, at the same time, I was training to go to the 2017 Worlds in Belarus um, as, as a junior, junior 93. And so I, so I went to that and I lifted. And um, I, I mean, I did, I did okay. I came, I came 15th out of 18, which, which at Worlds, I was 
beyond stoked with. Um, you know, PR every lift, PR total, eight for nine, you know, whole whole nine yards. Like I, I couldn't have been happier with my performance on the day. But after that, there was a bunch of New Zealand lifters. And because it was Belarus, we didn't have a send, send a big team. There wasn't many coaches. And so I jumped in to help out again. And so and so I jumped in to help the Singapore team. And so uh, technically in 2017, I was the Singapore team head coach, which was just like a little bit of a funny administrative quirk. Hey, hey, um, dude, hey, go. Yo, dude, were, we, were you going against some New Zealand lifters? No, if I, if I did, I, w- I would have been out of there. That's, uh, okay, that's a okay. conflict of interest, okay. but I can't. I was going to say, I know you're not a baseball guy, but this sounds very Pete Rose, okay? I, I... No, I'm happy to help out other countries when there's no New Zealand lifters helping. And I've, like, I've jumped in with Malaysia before. I've jumped in with Thailand before. I've jumped in with Singapore before. But when New Zealand's on, um, even if I'm not personally helping, I'm, I'm not involved because I, like, I, 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 can't, I can't do that. Um, and so I helped up with a couple of New Zealand lifters and uh, we managed to get our 63 kilo open up to, up to fourth with some good game day coaching. Uh, got a, got a bronze medal on deadlifts and a junior world record for the, one of the Singaporean lifters. Um, and a lifter that I'd actually coached into the worlds. We got her to, I think ninth in the junior 63 kilo class, which, which was really cool as well. Um, and so that was that was my first worlds, um, and I was I was an assistant coach that year, um, and I just I basically I lifted and then I helped out when I was available after that. Um, but then the next year I was it was would have been my first year as an open, um, and I, I basically I went to worlds. Uh, it was Coachella for meatheads, and I'm like, fuck, I am doing that again. So as soon as I got home from from Belarus that year, I, I started saving and and was like, I'm I'm going to worlds in Canada. If I get selected as a coach, that'd be great. If I don't get selected as a coach, I'm going to sit in the audience and I'm going to watch and I'm just going to watch everything. Um, and so I applied, I got selected as a coach. Um, so I was, so we had a, a head coach and then two or three coaches and then a bunch of assistant coaches. And so this year I got selected as a, as a coach. Um, and so I helped out at that world. We had a team of like 35 people or something at that world's. And I was on basically every session. Um, and so I did, I did what Avi Silverberg refers to as extreme coaching where you do, you know, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., multiple days in a row you um that year i was staying at an airbnb instead of the ipf hotel and so like i i rode the bike that i borrowed from my airbnb host home crashed out and basically slept six hours got up uh down a bunch of coffee straight back in to do it again um and so and so like i was i was i got a whole lot of exposure to this this world's team because i was one of the few dedicated coaching staff and so like that that exposure uh, helped me refine the way i thought about coaching a lot and so every year after these these events, we write we write reports about what happened. And so we go, okay, so person A, these were the attempts that we made. These are the reasons we made those attempts, including what we thought they were good for, what other people were doing, the priorities on the day, um, and then compared that against what we possibly should have done. And so we had this really fast feedback loop of going, okay, yesterday I coached person A. They went eight for nine. They came sixth, which was cool. Um, we made a bad decision when we did this because blah, 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 we should have done this instead. And then the next day, go and do a whole other thing and write another report and so on and so forth. And so you end up with the super fast feedback loop of this, of like 30, 30 different events over the course of about 10 days of, of all feeding into the way that you make this, this decision don't, or the series of decisions. See, I don't even think people understand that this, this is like, yeah, you don't go home. I know Canada's the same way. You don't just come home and be like, how was it? No, no, there's reports, and then they yep. say, we, the expectation was we thought this lifter would have been here, there, whatever, and then coaches may be on again for another two years. They might not. Performances are evaluated. Um, it's a big deal, man. This is not, 
this is this is where some people start realizing just how intense it is where you start crunching numbers afterwards and um yeah you got to take owner ownership of it and accountability what did you find now look competing's fun obviously but there's a reason why fantasy league football, fantasy league, what, whatever, fill in the blank, is so cool. And there's, it's not a video game that you're playing one of the players. You're the, you're, you're the GM. You're the coach. You're the guy making the calls. You're, you're collecting your team. You're trying to move them up the ranks. Um, like these fantasy leagues are absolutely bonkers because people actually like taking on that role, walking in there, and sometimes you win when you don't even have the best roster and. Tell me the feeling when you when you surprise people, even if you don't win, but you end up way better than you should have, and you don't got the best roster, and you're like, holy fuck, did I make something out of nothing? Did I squeeze water from that rock? I think I might be Jesus. Man, there is <laughs> there is no better feeling than going into a meet there with with this athlete, and you're nominated like 12th or 15th or 18th or something, and they're like, oh, I just want to have a good day. I think maybe if things go really well, I could get like maybe a bronze on, on bench or whatever. And then, and you come in and you kill it and they kill it and their head's in the right place. And the, and the attempt selection is on point. And, and like powerlifting is a game of, of making less mistakes than everybody else makes. Right. And so you minimize the mistakes that you make, you stack the kilos and you come out like, you know, fourth. And this person walks away with like a, like a medal from this event that they thought they were going to for fun and and like it's the, it's it's the best thing that's happened to them, and and being part of helping create that for that athlete is just amazing. I, I can see you being like, I, she's like, yeah, I just I just want to have some fun. It's my third competition. You're like, listen, Mary, this isn't about <laughs> fun, okay? We're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna fucking you know what? If they fall down, we're gonna kick dirt in their eye. That's what we're doing right now, okay? These aren't your friends, Mary. These aren't your friends. So stop talking to them like that. That can be your friends when we're done. You can go out for a drink and dinner or whatever else. But like until that last deadlift, like we're we're here to play powerlifting and we're gonna play powerlifting. Keep your head on a swivel, kid. Okay? Keep your chin tucked, head on a swivel, and follow what I tell you, soldier. And she's like, Yes, yes, sir. Because I've been I mean, I'm I'm all for people relaxing between attempts if that's what they like to do and if they're chatty and social, like that's great. Um but but making friends is the is the third or fourth priority where the first couple of priorities are stat kilos get medals. That's right. And, and here's, there's nothing quite like experiencing it live. And when you're look, I, so there was a huge difference for me watching the live streams and actually commentating at the world's going into the warm up room. You see things, man. I, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen nations with like phenomenal head coaches and lifters are still going to bomb. Lifters, I've seen phenomenal head coaches and the wrong weight was placed and it's like, oh, fuck, not sure about that. And from the commentary booth or at home, you might be like, why the fuck? Why would you put that on the bar whatever? When you're actually there, you run in the back and you start getting a feel for it. Yes, man, when it's 35 lifters in X amount of days and you have one lifter on platform one, one lifter on platform two going at the same time, one person's fighting for sixth place. One person's might get a second. And then you're also, again, six hours sleep. Get up. This is your third session of that day. So it's 12 hours a day. Nothing but loading, crunching numbers, looking at the clipboard. A couple things happened you didn't expect to happen. And it's absolutely nuts. Just like any other sport, you can make 10 good calls. And 
Nobody will notice because the weight just flew like it was supposed to and they ended up doing what they were doing. And you make one bad call and everybody be like, ah, see? And you're like, like, was there ever time when you were out there and you're like, God damn it. And people like, why'd you do that? And it's kind of like, man, you don't, we, when you're in, when you're in it, it's different. It feels different. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Okay. So there's the, there's this particular event, which is coming to my, I, I like, like most coaches, I'm my own worst critic, right? I, I write these, I, I write these reports and I, I have them saved on my Google drive. And I, I, I think about the mistakes that I've made. Like I had a, I had like a two hour debrief with Avi Silverberg, who's one of the, one of the Canadian coaches after world's 20, after one of the sessions in world's 2019. Cause I made these two mistakes, which like were individually quite minor, but potentially stacked up to being the difference between first and second. Um, and so we had a debrief about the, about that afterwards, but there was this particular time in 2018 in Canada, I was coaching this, this man named Jacob and uh, Jacob and I have a really good relationship. We were both junior 93s previously and we'd competed head to head. And um, since I graduated into open and sort of started lifting a little less competitively and coaching more, he's got me to help him out with all of his team selection. And so like we've done worlds together once or twice. We've done nationals together like two or three times. We've done, we've done so many meets just like him and I working together and he had a personal coach. And so I'm making these attempts and, uh, and, and his goal, like we, we talked about it at length and he came in, he's like top goal for the day squat medal anything else is a bonus but if i walk away with a squat medal like that's that's the win and so i'm i'm crunching these attempts and i actually made all good attempts on that particular case um but his his uh personal coach a man named sid um i obviously i didn't have my phone on me because i was busy coaching um and his personal coach had been sending me messages on facebook messenger like this whole time i was coaching being like oh what are you making that for you should have taken this the original plan was to do bloody 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 blah i'm like I, I never even opened it i just i just blocked him and left it at that but um it's like if if you're not here i'm not taking coaching advice from somebody who's like 18 fucking time zones away watching a live stream like you don't you don't know what's happening you can't see that the platform is shaking under his feet when he walks it out. And I can see that. And like, you can't see that I, that the other lifter is definitely going to miss that 252 or whatever he's put in for his third. And I can see that because I'm, I'm watching everything. I'm, I'm six feet away from it. Um, <laughs> Dog, the difference, do you know the difference between when I see a squat in real life, when I'm at the gym with a friend and I'm watching the squat and it's a fucking battle and someone else videoed it and he was, let me see the video. And it doesn't look like the same battle. Never, never looks no. the same. He's no. it actually moved pretty well. What do you think? Another ten? Or I was like, no, 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 no another, yeah. not another anything. That was the appropriate RPE level. I don't care what the video lies. It's true video lies. If you don't believe it, you haven't been in the gym enough. Watch when someone has a, a decent scrap, not not a life or death grinder, but a decent scrap. And then when they yeah. say, "Let me see the video," and you watch the video with them, and you're like. It didn't. It looks different on the video. Is all I can tell you. In real life, you get a whole nother sense, man. It's like watching a band on a stream and watching a band live. You know what's up. It's different. So when you're watching the lifter you're handling, when you're watching the other lifters, when you see the other lifters in the warm-up room and how they're reacting and how their coaches are reacting, and you get the vibe. And man, how many times people go back to the warm-up room and like that fucking my foot is slipping like crazy when i'm setting up on bench man we got to be careful somebody watching life there's so many intangibles i would never say that no no yeah absolutely what do you think what do you have more fun doing now that you've done this lifting or handling uh if the class is deep and and 
we're playing the game, definitely handling. Yeah. It's like I'm, I'm happy to coach. Like I've, I've got a couple of like, uh, like relatively into, uh, novice lifters, and I'm quite happy to run cards for them when they roll up to to max out at the local meet where there's you know them and one other person in their class, and it just like doesn't matter. Like that's fine, but but coaching when the class is deep and I'm and I'm running around with the clipboard, I'm I'm running the numbers, I'm watching them warming up, that's 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 the game for me. It's almost like a game of war. I have my soldiers, you have your soldiers, let's see what's up. Mm-hmm. Let's see what's up. And especially at the world level when you're team New Zealand. How many points yeah. do I collect? It's over I yeah. I might I, hey yeah okay I lost a couple battles. You won a couple battles. But it's a long two weeks, my friend. And let's see how many points I get to collect. How many points you're going to collect. There's nothing more. It is seriously like you have your soldiers and you take some losses. You take some crazy upset jump in the rankings, 10 places. Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah. Those, those, are, those are some points we're going to collect right there. It is like when people might not get it and they're like, how could you like handling more? It's like, well, it's not that hard if you think about fantasy football, fantasy basketball, etc. Yeah, I'm playing fantasy powerlifting, but I'm playing it at real. I mean, I'm playing fantasy powerlifting as well, but I'm also playing it in real life. Yeah, um, yeah, we played. Actually, that's how we met. Was yeah, we we met in fantasy powerlifting. I got roped <laughs> into, and this is when you're a fucking powerlifting nerd. I got roped into <laughs> fantasy powerlifting with you fellas. So the last <laughs> podcast for those listening, Bill Arian, um, you guys do fantasy powerlifting. Uh, yourself, yep. Sean Crow. Yep, and uh, Peter Spence. And Peter Spence got pulled in after the fact. So initially, oh yeah, no, you're right, you're right, yep. But that turned into fantasy, like that fantasy dog. I played like one round of fantasy powerlifting, and you guys have done fantasy like a million times over. Well, not a million times over, but um, we just like are in there shit talking and talking about powerlifting <laughs> and the whole night. When you watch though, because you do find like it is a, a, a fine art in terms of handling, and you know everything that goes in it. If, have you had situations where it's difficult working with specific lifters who don't understand or personal coaches and you're like, and you're like, my man's like the personal coach or the lifter. You got to curb that ego, man. You don't, you don't know what you know, but you can't say it like that. Cause you got to work with them, but you're like, whew, this is getting tough. This is getting tough. Yeah. Yeah. Both. Um, I, I find it hard because, uh, so you got, uh, with team New Zealand, you don't get any funding to go. And so I, I think I got to $125 last year, 125 New Zealand dollars. So that's like, you know, a hundred Canadian dollars or hundred Canadian dollars or something. Um, you know, like that, that, that didn't, that didn't cover my insurance, my travel insurance. Um, and so, and so when I'm there with the athletes, the athletes have also funded their own way to be there and, and the most part. And so it's really hard for me to turn around and say, you must do this. And, and as a result of that, I have to get them on board by being compelling rather than by simply demanding that they do what I want them to do, even, even, even if I'm right. And so there's definitely some athletes and particularly some personal coaches who are, who are not easy to deal with. Um, I, in the rare instances, I've had an athlete bomb. Um, we had a we had a personal coach in in the back, and uh, this athlete was warming up, and they had a velocimeter, um, and the but we didn't have any data from their training. We only had the the velocimeter for their their warm up, and so the personal coach was looking at the data on the velocimeter and was going, "Yep, that's in that's in range with what we expect. Yep, that's in range with what we expect." And I'm looking at it going, "That uh, like to me that that squat looked high, and you know I'm a category two referee. Like if I say a squat looks high." my opinion is typically very close to what 
the other referees are going to say. Um, and he's like, uh, no, no, speed, speed's good. We'll, we'll sink it. I'm like, I mean, like, I, I, I tried to convince him not to. And, uh, I mean, she squatted high twice and then to depth once and failed the lift and, and bombed out. And uh, it was it was really tough because, like, I, I was in the back. I was watching it. I, I could see it happening. And I and I couldn't convince this personal coach that, that it was the wrong decision. Um, and, yeah, there's a couple of athletes who are – uh, have so in their own egos, um, so in their own egos. Are, are we talking about? Are we talking about Brett Gibbs right now? No, Brett Angus and I have have this really good rapport for the way that we work, and so Angus is sort of much more charismatic and personable than I am. I'm, I'm abrasive, um, and so and so he helps keep Brett's head in the right place and and keeps the, the timing going. And I'm, I'm running the numbers, checking the opposing athletes and seeing what they're doing and what their warmups look like and all of those things. So Brett Angus and I have a really good, good structure. Um, one that I'm thinking of is that Cabo Sashona, he won't, he won't mind me talking about this. He'll, he'll think it's amusing. Um, and he, he does massive cuts. He comes from, comes down from like low 70 kilos into the 66 kilo class. And he comes in and he's shredded to death. And, he, and you know, he comes in, he'll weigh in with minutes to go in the 90-minute weigh-in weigh in window. And he'll make weight with, like, 50 grams to spare or something after coming directly out of the sauna. Um, you know, I, he doesn't warm up for bench. And so he'll come in and all he does is, like, Theragun his pecs. And he'll come in and be like, I want to open at 170. I'm looking at his numbers, his, his, his training numbers and his previous competition numbers. I'm like, my man... At 66 kilos, you've never benched over 162 in comp. Like, I'm not letting you open at 170, especially having not seen you warm up today. Um, Fuck. And so, like, the closest I've ever come to hitting someone out of anger was was that day. And, um, and so, like, fortunately, I had his cards. And so I just submitted something and argued with him until he timed out and, and wasn't allowed to change it anymore. And so then he just had to do what I, what I put in for him. Um, and afterwards he came up to me and he apologized and he's like, you were absolutely right. But I was like, I was in my own head and in my own ego at the time. And I bet, but that day went outstanding. Like I think he got a bronze on bench and, a, and fourth overall after coming, after being nominated like eighth or ninth or something. So there are definitely some, some tricky people, but, but, or, or people who, who have their moments of being tricky to work with. Um, but, but we definitely make progress and we and we've ended up with some quite good rapport with a lot of them. It's like that one scene in um, Thin Red Line, the war movie, where there's a general, okay? And uh, this, it came out in the 90s. Nick Nolte's a general in it, or a sergeant or whatever, and he's got a platoon. And you got it. When you have soldiers, and you're out there, like this This works because I already used the analogy earlier, but uh, you, it's like, look, I need you to follow these orders, right? And then, um, so when he was belting off some orders and the guy's kind of like, he's getting some pushback. He's getting some pushback, hard pushback. And then they end up running in this out of this foxhole and the battle's on. And then, oh yeah, so it ended up working exactly as Nick Nolte had said. And afterwards, this dude who shell shot goes to Nick Nolte and says, fuck, man, you were right. You were right. And Nick goes, from now on, you don't have to tell me I'm right. We'll assume it. <laughs> and I that's was such like, a good line I, I should remember that for next time that's the fucking line Rory if you ever belt that off to somebody after you had just proven yourself if they're really like you're right you're right you, you drop listen listen this is it this is it Rory pace it take time with it don't rush it this is what it is one more time one more time you don't have to tell me I'm right we'll assume it 
That's it. I'm gonna I'm gonna practice that in front of Amara. So next time someone comes back and goes, You made the right call with that squad, I'm gonna be like <laughs> Yeah, try it. Tell me I'm right. From now on, we just assume it. That's right. But keep it keep it a few beats. Let, <laughs> let it let it marinate a little bit when you put the first little piece. Count three beats <laughs> in the head and then you drop that punchline. They're gonna walk away. They're gonna walk away like, oh shit, man. I just got I just got lit up. That that guy's got me. That's it. Mind fuck. Um, but yeah, so working, it's interesting because you got a guy like Brett and because you, you were like a junior when you first came in and you start coaching, do you ever feel like a little bit like, uh, because Brett's been around longer than you at the world level too, not just a local level. Right. And, um, so it's not like he's look. there's a point where if somebody comes in after me and they make it, they're big in the first couple of years, it's like. That's cool, man. You got a lot of, or, or lady, you got a lot of physical abilities, whatnot. But if you, like, I've been doing powerlifting for over 10 years and seen a lot of shit in my day. So it's like, if we're just going head up for powerlifting knowledge, I feel pretty comfortable. All right. Like, you're not going to tell me a whole lot. Um, you, you just feel that confidence, right? And you know that because you've been there. There's something about being a veteran. You can't read articles on experience. You got to experience it. I don't give a shit. Like, you could, you could be a really strong person because your central nervous system, that's just good genetics. But until you've been around, done a lot of research, sit down with people and seen battles unfold and then ask questions about the whole nine, there's something about experience. So nine times out of 10, you having the experience you've got when you sharpen that sword in Calgary, in Belarus, with a different nation, you're like, this is an opportunity and I see it. This is the world level. Even if I fuck up and you write that report, you just learned from it, didn't you? And there's nothing like fucking up. You... You can do everything right. You're not going to learn a whole shitload. If you fuck up and everybody's watching the stream and you know people are going to... Look at as cop, the world commentator. If I think a handler and a coaching team drop the ball, I will say it because that is the storyline for the sport. When you watch sports and it's a basketball game... I'm sorry, my man. I know you guys don't watch basketball. Fucks with me for a second though. When you watch sports as a basketball game, if the basketball coach drops the ball, the commentator has to say... I'm not sure why they decided on that choice. I'm not sure why that guy's on the bench and that guy took the shot. I don't know why blah, blah, blah. You have to because it's just disingenuous if you don't. So and sometimes you try to massage it a little bit and be like, oh, wow, that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought they would took that choice. You're not going to be like, oh, what an idiot. But you're going to say things, right? And there's nothing like you make 100 calls with all these lifters. You're not going 100 for 100. You're going to drop the ball a few times. So when you're at the world level and you drop the ball a few times and you do the report, you're going to learn like you never learned before. And you're going to analyze and overanalyze. And you're going to go to bed and be like, I'm good with it. Nah, I'm good with it. And then you're going to be like, fuck me. I can't and then you're going to wake at 1 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. saying, like, I'm not good with it. I'm not good with it. Man. <laughs> and there's nothing like, so because of that, because you got skin in the game and you're, you're learning and you're building this experience, you get better and better and better, infinitely better. But how weird is it? So when someone new comes along after a while, you're like, look, you're a phenomenal talent. I get it. I got it. But you, whatever, just trust me. You start talking like Nick Nolte from Thin Red Line. However, however, it's a little different when a guy like Brett is there who's been in the game the same or longer, been at the world level the same or longer, and he's Brett Gibbs. How does that feel? I know you said Angus carries it, and I got the dynamic, and I understand. And maybe Angus has that with Brett, where he's Brett's going to listen when Angus says something. Maybe Angus has that. But how does it feel when you're working with that? Where you're like, fuck, man. You ever, you ever second-guess yourself? And you're like, fuck, 
I don't even know. Okay. I'm, I'm going to preface this by saying that Brent is a really smart dude, and by and individually, he's an outstanding coach. Like yeah. I've seen him, I've seen him pull shit when he's coaching at nationals, where I, like I'm watching the coaching that he's doing, and I'm like, if he wasn't lifting all the time, like he like he would be a good person to have on, on the coaching stuff all the time as well. Like yeah. he's he, he has some moves. Um, when you're lifting though it is hard to be engaged in both the lifting and the numbers and some people can do it and it, and it depends sort of like about your mindset on the day and uh we're unlucky that brett gets that and if brett didn't get that and was and was an arrogant son of a bitch about it like it, it, that dynamic wouldn't work in the same way but uh brett and angus and i have worked together a lot um we we chat a lot we know um Brett trusts us to make the right decisions. We've um, we've worked together for like as a group for for several years now in a number of competitions, and and in the vast majority of cases we've made good decisions. So we're sort of proven to be making good decisions and working well together. And so like all that together adds is worth quite a lot. There's there there are some athletes who have a lot of experience um, who back their own intuition more than the coaching staff. And again, because of that thing where they have to fund their own way there and, and all of that stuff, the dynamics sort of a little bit strange. And so if I if I can't convince them that that's that's right, then okay, that's cool. They can they can do they can do that, and I'm not gonna fuck with that for them. Yeah, I got two funny stories. So one, because um, I was just I was just thinking, yeah, if you're working with master lifters who've been in the game forever. They might be a little stuck in the ways, and then you try being like, like again, they seen everything under the sun. So you're like, all right, maybe you're driving your own boat here. Um, I remember one master lifter kid has got Ron Strong. The guy is oh, yeah. such, such a character and a legend, multiple time world champion. The guy knows the shit. But it's so funny. It's the funniest quote because his last name is Strong, and he's a power lifter. First off, so he sounds like he's a parody. But when you meet him in real life, he's still a parody. He's his voice. He talk. He talks like this, and he's like. Such a, if you played the video game Mike Tyson's Punch Out, he's kind of like the bald bull, um, big, huge dude like that. And um, I remember hearing him one time, he's in the warm up room, and he's talking to a dude, by the way. It won't sound like it by the way he says this, but the guy loads up like two plates and they're warming up for deadlifts, and he goes to him, Love, I don't bend over for anything less than three plates a side. <laughs> it was like, oh shit! That was the most gangster line. <laughs> he's he's like, I start warming up at three plates, but it's the way he said it. It was, it was the way he carried himself. But he says it funny. Another one. Um, oh, Brett. So it's sweet. And um, I talked to Brett. I talked to Brett. Like I talked to him, like, quite a few of the lifters. I've had him on the podcast. You develop relationships, right? Um, so if I, if you hear me shit talking Brett in this podcast, it's cause we're buddies and, um, whatever. It's just his, what it is. He, he understands. So I, I did the preview podcast like I do for all the world championships and, um, we do our picks, man. You got to do your picks because I don't like when people do podcasts of pussies. They don't make picks because you're worried you're going to offend somebody, but put yourself on the line. I've eaten my crow and maybe I've hurt feelings sometimes too. And I hope I don't. That's not what you're trying to do, but Again, man, we don't have mainstream media to do this, to make picks for us. We're the only ones who are going to do it. So when people listen to podcasts, they want to hear the podcaster have some skin in the game as well, right? Um, so anyways, we do analysis, do our picks. 
and I'm talking to Brett ahead of time, and I'm like, hey, did you did you listen to the preview show? And he's like, no, 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 I'm not gonna, no, no. I don't want to hear the breakdown. I don't want to hear, you know, I have Matt Gary on. If you want to talk about handling, the guy's been in powerlifting since like the late '80s and um, like Ed Cohen era, Captain Kirk era when they were competing all the way to now. And you talk about powerlifting nerd. My man is, he knows everything there is. He coaches the coaches of the U.S. coaching staff. Um, so he knows he knows all the games you play because he plays them too. Um, so he's doing these preview shows with me. So we did not analyze this shit. And Brett knows it. If you're, if you're a lifter, you be careful if you're lifting these preview shows because we'll get in your head if we call out some shit. Some people don't listen to the preview shows. So Brett's like, nah, man, I don't listen to that. Like, all right, fair enough, whatever it is, what it is. We're in the back. This is like three days before. We're in the back, and it's right before the squats are about to happen. And I'm with Caffrey, who's sharing a warm-up, um, a warm-up platform in the warm-up room with Brett. And Brett's just about to start um, squatting in the warm-up, and he's standing be- beside me, and he's looking at the squat, squat rack, and he stops right before he's about to hop under the bar. He stops, look back, and he goes, fucking picked him, didn't you? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? He goes, you picked them, didn't you? You picked them. And I'm like, dog, what are you? You're about to warm up. It's about the battles about the how to get in there, man. Don't worry about it. I did, for the record, I didn't pick Brett. And, and Russell did win. And uh, it is what it is. But it's funny how, like, you know, it's so... Look at... Um, I've, I've read tons of athlete autobiographies. Some dudes are in the game for 10 years. It doesn't go away. If you're trying, you can do all these tricks to get the nerves out, the anxiety out, and all the rest of it. It doesn't matter. You could be a ten-year vet. That shit comes to you at right before. You're like, oh god damn it, here we go again. You know? it's, it's hard not to, right? Like you compete at IPF Worlds, and it's not like competing at a local meet. You walk, you walk out onto the platform. There's this audience and like the the raised the raised seats looking down on you. And there's cameras and there's flashing lights and there's and there's commentators and there's and, you know there's, there's cameras looking at you from this way. There's cameras looking at you from this way. Yeah. Like there's no way that you get there and you look at that and you go, man, I'm about to go head to head for the world championship. Yeah, I'm totally chill and fine with this. Everything. <laughs> this, yeah. is just, this is just this is day for me. Like it doesn't. If it happens like that, you're probably in the wrong place. Well, well, they said. Um, so I'm reading a book like written by Mike Tyson. He talks about fear. And obviously, you box, man. You're going to have tons of fear. And he talks about how, look, if you don't have anxiety and that doesn't hit your body, you're not going to be as strong. How are you going to be? Like, we all know when you get ramped up and that adrenaline hits your body, how much stronger you are. And I've been in situations where, um, like, lifted at nationals and worlds and then lifted at a local competition afterwards, and I just can't get myself revved up because it doesn't. there's no skin in the game. It doesn't mean nothing. And I'm like, and you just had a shitty day. It's like, what happened? Well, you went nine for nine. Yeah, but I just couldn't get fired up. I just couldn't. I didn't. The worst thing in the world is if you don't care. And the reason why you have anxiety is because you care. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You just have to get comfortable with anxiety and fear, which is a funny thing to say. If not comfortable with it, at the very least, accept it. And understand this this is your friend. This is a good thing. You need it. Um... You said, well, something that's interesting. You said you'd had a two-hour debriefing with Abby, who's a Canadian coach. Um, yeah. and, 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 and we'll talk about that, Abby, because you shouldn't be fraternizing with these people. They're, they're still <laughs> they're still enemies, goddammit. We got Canadians in the fold. But um, 
do is Abby or do you have a mentor when it comes to handling and how how important do you think it is not like official not like you're at work and you're job shadowing but just someone who's been in the game before you were in the game done it that you can debrief with and be like look at man here's something I ran across didn't run across it before and this happens there's situations when you come chips someone has two chips you have one chip there's some weird things that happen lot numbers and body weight and a lot of factors rolling around you're like Holy shit. Uh, you know, I wasn't in this scenario. I didn't prophesize this happening. And um, I ended up, what do you think? Is there a guy or is it Abby? And how important do you think it is to have mentors in the game like that? Uh, so it definitely it definitely is Avi. Um, so Avi has been coaching and, and particularly meet day coaching uh, for a really long time and, and a lot on the international stage. And there is, there is nothing quite like going to international meets to get that experience. And so we don't get that in New Zealand, right? Like we don't, we don't have the number of international comps to go to that like a lot of the European nations go to. Like Oceania is, is, is not really a big deal most of the time. In fact, it hasn't happened for a few years even. Um, whereas like if you're, in, if you're in the Netherlands, you go to like uh, equip Europeans and raw Europeans and bench nationals and worlds and you know, all of these meets. And so having somebody who's been to a lot of international meets and handled a lot at those international meets like Avi, like the Canadian team is almost always absolutely full. And so Avi spends a lot of time and like he has submitted a lot of attempts at an international level um, and, and he knows what's up. Um, and so I, I actually had like a two hour call with him uh, separate from the debriefing another time where I, where I picked his brains about strategy and I wrote, I wrote pages and pages of notes about what, about what he talked about. Um, and so, and so there's that, and then there's debriefing with him afterwards. There's debriefing with Angus afterwards as well. Um, at, because Angus is a really smart, uh, uh, mechanism design and game theory is a large part of what he does. Um, like, like strategy is a large part of what he does as a, as a job. And it's, it's part of what I do as a job as well. And so like all of that together means that I get, I get a lot of opinions. Um, there's a lot of data that feeds into what, to the decisions that we make. Um, yeah. It's, it's. You know, I want to get Angus on the podcast too sometime in the future. He actually um, hit me up. I was, I was, so I'm doing the commentary, but also doing like the King List, reposting the whole nine. And um, I forget what session it was, but he hit me. Like he's, look at you guys, we all get passionate about it. But when you're a coach, like a handling coach, not a programming coach, oftentimes the same person, but when you're like, I find handling's, handling is a totally different beast. There's a lot of people who do programming who think they can do handling because they just don't understand the complexity of it. And Angus has hit me up on King of Lifts and be like, God damn it, what was this person doing? Like, They're like, holy shit. Was it the 84 kilo session at Worlds last year? Because holy shit, I was sitting in the audience with that going, what is going on? Those, it, that's the wrong thing to do. Well, tell me about it. I'm not, I can't remember exactly because I think he hit me up a few times if I'm, if I'm the God's honest truth. But... Yeah, There's also been a few that have been outstanding coaching. Anything that um that the Swedish coach uh, Carolina does is just. Um, so the 84 kilo class, there was two Americans going head to head for first and second, and then there was a very big gap down to third. Um, and so the the two Americans were Amanda Lawrence and uh, Daniela Mello. And the Daniela Mello was in this position where she was in totally in a position of strength. And I forget the exact details because I didn't I didn't write a report about it because it wasn't my session. I was just watching. I believe um, she, and, she, she had a chip and was deading last. She was going to uh, pull. Mello was going to pull last. Like she she had the higher deadlift anyways. 
She was going to, because she had, she, she was dating after Amanda, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. And, and, yeah, and she would, and she had, and she had either a chip or she had the body weight advantage. So she, so whatever it was, she was in this, this massive position of power uh, where she should have been in a position to dictate what was going on for the rest of the meet. And that doesn't mean that you're going to win. But what that does mean is that you get the opportunity to force the other person into a bad position and, and increase the probability that you win. Right, powerlifting is a game where decisions are stochastic. Like there's a there's a probability associated of success associated associated with every decision that you make, and you need to weigh off the the probability of success against the probability of failure and, and the outcomes of each of those. And so she was in this position where if she'd made good attempt selection, she should have been able to force Amanda Lawrence to do something that Amanda wouldn't have been able to do, like with very high probability. And so by all by all accounts, she should have. There was like a 90% chance of her winning at that point if she'd been if she'd made good decisions. But what it looked like from the audience was that the coach, the coaching staff, who I believe was just Joey Flex, um, though I, I could be wrong about that, simply decided that Amanda Lawrence should win and changed Daniela Mello's attempt so that it wouldn't pressure Amanda at all. Um, and I, I forget the details of what the attempts were, but but Amanda Lawrence scraped out this third deadlift, and you know if if. If Daniela Mello had pushed her five or ten kilos higher than, than what she did, she probably wouldn't have got it, and she would have come second instead of first. Um, and so, and so instead, she hits. I think I want to say exactly the same total. I think they tied on total. And okay, so Amanda Lawrence must have been uh, must have been the lighter lifter. Um, so Daniela Mello came second on body weight um, in the end, even though she was in this phenomenal position of power as she just never should have been in. Uh, she just she should have never been in a position to lose like that. I believe. Um, I believe she was gonna. She was going to, if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to recall this here. It's been a hot minute. Um, let, let, she, let me bring it up on uh, open powerlifting. I think she was deading last, and she was going to be able to. They both had a placeholder for anyone listening. You could change your last deadlift twice. So to make sure you're deading last, you deadlift first. And you get to put in your placeholder first, so your placeholder could literally be 400 kilo, whatever. I did after you, I put in 400 kilo, whatever. So if we both have a placeholder, um, in that situation, if you have the higher total, if I don't balk and change my placeholder, and you don't change your placeholder, and you have, if, whether it's you're gonna win on body weight or you're gonna win on total, you're fine with coming out tugging on the bar and just waving the crowd like, well, I guess I didn't get it because I'm going to do, because my weight can't be lower than yours if I'm deadlifting after you. I have to, the weight, the bar um, can only increase in weight. So as soon as, if nobody changes their placeholder and we both balk at that and they both walk out and give a tug on the bar, whoever is going to win leading into the third attempts wins. Okay. Yeah, and that's, remember, why, that's why it's absolutely essential that if the goal is to win, you must be winning by the end of the second attempt, or the probability of winning just drops drastically. Because you have to be in that position where if they're staring, if their coach is staring you in the face, and you're staring their coach in the face, holding your card, and neither of you putting it in, like, like you need to be standing there in a position of strength, going like, I can stand here all day because if we both stand here all day, I'm going to win this. And so you need to be the one to blink first. Yeah. And so that, like, that's an important part of that strategy. Which is and she was in that position. I, I was just about to say, which is the position that Dan, Daniela Mello found herself. Um, Absolutely. So then, 
Um, in terms of the last attempt, I think, if I'm not mistaken, she. I remember I was commentating, and I didn't know what was going on or whatever, but I remember setting up, explaining exactly that, saying, well, Amanda Lawrence has to blink first. Because if it's a game of chicken, she's going to lose. They both go out, and they both give a tug on the bar on their placeholder weight. Um, Amanda Lawrence loses by default in that position. Right. So so I said that on the commentary, and then, weirdly enough, Daniela Mello went first and gave that yes. up, gave up that position, which was, oh, that is a very rare situation to do. And then yep. went out, Mr. Deadlift. Amanda came out, hit it. Now, having said that, you already prefaced this with saying, A, Amanda Lawrence might be straight up stronger than Daniela Mello and might have won anyways. And she did. They both went for the same dead. And Amanda Lawrence hit it. Amanda Lawrence is probably the stronger powerlifter. Yada, yada. It's not really about Amanda Lawrence is the whole point. Um, because she probably is the best 84 kilo lifter in the world right now today. And I don't think that's a controversial statement to say. I, it, it, that's not really the issue at all. I think what people, some people were saying was, um, like you were saying in the stands, hey, why did you give up that position of power if you had that position? So that's what we're handling was like, um, so you were using that as when I asked you a situation where you're watching and you're like, what the hell just happened right there? And you're like, I don't understand what just happened right there. I don't know yeah. if Joey, I don't know if Joey was handling both of them at the same time though. Cause she's seen Sean with her and there is other, I'm not sure the entire situation. So I don't want to guess. Um, I don't know if you heard or whatever. I don't want to guess to throw nobody under the bus, but I'm not sure. Are you, do, do you know the situation or what? I, I'm, I'm not sure, but what I understood to be happening was that Joey was calling attempts for both of them. And, and uh, Noriega was present, but he, he didn't have the final say in the attempt. Um, and from what I heard, I, 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 don't, I don't know him and I, have, I didn't speak to him about it, but from what I understand is he was pretty mad afterwards because he saw this unfolding in the same way that I saw it unfolding and knew that he was in that position, well, that Daniela was in that position of strength and, and didn't take advantage of it. Hmm. It's, it's too bad, man, I did the Joey Flex podcast before two episodes ago and i could have asked them the situation how it went and um maybe you could have said we could have cleared it up because who knows what the shit i don't want i don't want to guess too much and then throw somebody under the bus or whatever else. but on the flip side too um i mean because i also don't want to put in uh intentions we don't know intentions right if it was no, like, absolutely you know what i mean where it's like now yeah, you really right. start storytelling when it's like he was calling both shots. His intentions were to do this. Then it's like, ah, we're really stacking the deck here. But if we just call it on, uh, like, it was, it was clearly, it was an error that fucking, when you're at this level, shit happens. We've, we've, I have not coached at the world le- er, uh, level, but in terms of handling, but I sure as shit have made some mistakes and be like, whew, I think I fumbled the fucking ball there. And I'm sure people have come up to me. Abby's actually talked to me about that. Your, your, your mentor or the Canadian head coach. I seen somebody in the Canadian that a world's. I don't want to sh- shout them out here, but they bombed and they're in a good position. And we were like, Abby, what the fuck? And this is Abby, who is an absolute beast when it comes to handling. And weird things happen. Actually, it's happened twice with Canadians. Uh, one time a guy, one time a girl. And we were kind of like, what the fuck happened there? Weird things can you could make. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. But if the showdown's huge. It becomes immortalized, right? And then you're like, and then it becomes one of those game day footage that everyone here on out is going to study. And then you're like, oh, good, oh, that's great. My 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 mistake became a game day footage, and people are going to study. 
what the shit is this all about? Is it? Is that? Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, sorry. I was just gonna say that's that's why I say that it's stochastic. Like you never you never have 100% certainty that something is going to happen the way that you want it to happen. And so you have to weigh up that probability. And so hopefully you pick openers where the probability is very, very, very high, but it's never going to be 100%. Yeah. So. Yeah, and when you, um, do you ever have a fear like that where like, I get like, that's the anxiety. That's, that's why it, it's so fun. But are you ever like, holy shit, I hope I don't drop the ball on this. If it's like a big showdown and you've been in some big ones because you have to coach Brett, at the world level, and God, is Brett always in a showdown? Okay, there, there, there was this one particular moment I remember from uh, Sweden uh, where I was I was calling, we talked about it and we discussed it and, and we decided that the process was Brett and Angus tell Rory what they think and then Rory makes a decision about what the next attempt is. Um, and so I, I have the final say, I have the cards, I have the clipboard, I have, I have all of the numbers. And so... Brett does his second squat. I want to say it was 285 or something, something like that. His, and his quad was feeling a little, little bit funny. And he was spending every, every minute between his attempts out the back, like, uh, like rolling it out and stretching it. And he was, he was not having a good time. And, and he comes off and he's like, oh, it's, it's, it's not there today. Two, 290, 290. And Angus comes over and he's like, yeah, 290. And I'm like, 295. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I put in 295. And um, and as soon as I put the card in, I had this like pit of dread where I was like, oh, I might have just fucked this up. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like if we if, if if Brett misses this because I've made a bad decision, like we are out of the race because now now we go from like if we get two ninety, where suddenly we're twenty three kilos. I think we would have been behind behind Russell Wall here at that point. Whereas if we'd missed two ninety five, we would have been like thirty five kilos behind or something. Um, oh. And so, and so I had this moment of like horror where I was like, "What have I done?" <laughs> and Brett was like, "Fuck, man!" And, <laughs> and then, he, and then he nailed it. It was perfect. Oh, dude! <laughs> if what if he missed? What do you? What do you like? What do you say to the dude if he told you? Angus told you you went against both head coach and lifter. You'd be like. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I'll buy you beers tonight. What do you want me? What do you want me to say? Yeah. Um. Like. Yeah. Like. Like. Like you say, bad decisions happen. Bad decisions do happen, and there's no way you can avoid bad decisions. All you can do is make make sure that the percentage of bad decisions that you make is as small as possible. Yeah. Um. And like looking back at that, I should have gone to ninety. <laughs> Like, like it, I, I made a bad decision and it worked out well. Yeah. Um, you, isn't that interesting? You know what? And that's, that's humble enough to say it was still a bad decision because I shouldn't have – you shouldn't have gone against the head coach against the lifter, but it worked out well. And it's one of those deals, deals where if you do it enough times, it starts becoming a habit and you're like, I, I can't make a habit at this. I have to check myself to actually say it was a bad decision. I can't start doing this often. And that's almost where Angus has to be like, look it, all right. We can't undermine me too. Like, look it, it worked. I got you. I got you. But it, like, that was not the fucking time to drop the Thin Red Lines quote. Put it that way. If you, no, if no, you, no, no, no. Can you imagine you said that to Brett Angus, the head coach of Lifter? You're like, they're like, oh my God, you were right. Hey, you know what, fellas? From now on, you don't got to tell me. I'm 
And they were like, whoa, all right, settle the fuck down, Rory. You're getting a- No, the decision I made was rational. And, and I made the decision with the information that I had at the time. And like, if I made it again now, I, I might make a different decision. Um, but I was, I was weighing up probabilities. And I was like, look, if we only get 290, if we're 23 kilos behind, we can't make up 23 kilos on bench. And Brett probably has the weaker deadlift today. So like, if, if we take 290 and get it, we're still in the race, but only just. If we take 295 and get it, we're still in the race with a good margin. Yeah. If we take 292 and get it, like that's sort of an intermediate result. And in some cases, there's no intermediate result, right? And in the case of like a third deadlift, tonight, like the, the the lower attempt gets you something. The slightly higher attempt is more likely to fail, but doesn't get you anything additional. So it's not a good attempt. And then there's the, the higher attempt, which gets you something additional. And in this case, 292 wasn't like that. 292 was actually an intermediate decision in that case. Um, and so I like I weighed that up and I was like, look, if if we're here to win, we're not here to get the best total possible. We're here to win. If we don't get this, we're out. If we only get 290, we're probably out as well. Like, yeah, fuck it, makes, it, we, it. Yeah, dog, it makes sense. You know, like when you when you weigh it out like that, when you're saying like, look, it for Brett. You want to win, and number three is not threatening your silver. And it, it, we all know the answer. If you say to Brett, "Do you want to swing and miss, and you might end up third, yeah, but you could get that. If but if you connect, you're gonna get that gold. You already know Brett's like load that fucking bar, kid. Oh, absolutely. And like, and so there was maybe a thirty-five percent chance that he got that squat. But the way off the, the trade-off wasn't does he get the squat or not get the squat. The, the trade-off was does he stay in the race and and have a shot at first. Or does he not? And we, and we just like lock in. Isn't that lock in? And. Is so here's isn't that funny too? It, like where we're now talking, and that's where you are looking at the bigger picture. And when you've been in enough showdowns, you know this. Where it's no longer what's the high percentage? No, 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 no. I'll admit this was the low. This is thirty five percent chance you're going to get this. You you probably won't get this, my friend. However, <laughs> however. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't get it, you're not in the race. So this is the only shot you got. So do you yeah. want me to load the bar? If you want me to load the bar with something less, you have a 35% chance you're in the race for if you hit it. Yeah. If you want me to load the bar with something, you only have a third, 35% chance of hitting, but now your chance of winning goes up to 75% or 50-50 at least. Yeah. This is this is look. You you start seeing how complex these decisions are. Oh, and by the way, you got sixty seconds to put that card. Oh in. yeah, and you've got you've got sixty seconds. There's uh, sixty seconds minus the amount of time it takes to actually get to the table and put the attempt in. Um, like there's there's not a lot of time to make that decision. Like sixty seconds is is not that long. That's why it kills me when some of these handlers don't have a clipboard to have all the data in front of them to quickly make these decisions. Don't tell me, don't tell me you're making all these calculations and everything just on the fly right there. I don't need a clipboard. I'm good. No, you're not good. As a matter of fact. You're just, you're just vibing it you, at this point. Like you're, you're looking at things and you're going, feels like you should take yeah. whatever way. You're, you're Bush League. Anybody could do that. Anybody can vibe it. You're not on this level. And that's like, you can see a mark when you see him in the back warm-up room and they're not prepared like that. You're not making these tactical decisions. And this isn't even, ah, man. Anyways, yeah. So I'm glad these last couple podcasts we had some some top line coaching come in uh, to, to talk like this. So and that was actually one that 
yeah, you guys, you guys obviously Russell ended up winning, but you played a good tactical decision. Afterwards, did you feel like you know what we did what we could? No, uh, that was that was the one. There was there was two decisions that I made during that day that possibly added up to being in a disadvantage disadvantage position on the deadlift. Um, and at, knowing what Russell ended up deadlifting and knowing what Brett ended up deadlifting, it it probably didn't make a difference to the final day but it could have changed those probabilities a little bit in a way that was favorable to us. And so the first one was uh, after Brett, Brett didn't get an, the start command for his second bench press. Um, so Brett, Brett has this uh, thing as elbow doesn't, doesn't go all the way out. So locked out for him is, uh, so for me, it's like there for him, it's sort of there. And so that's as far as his arm goes. And so he got a, he got a, he got a start command for his first bench attempt. And so we're like, sweet, not going to be a problem today. Second attempt, his arms were exactly the same locked out because that's as far as they go. Didn't get start command. Um, and then he eventually did get the start command, but the clock was ticking down and he, he could see it. And he told me afterwards that he could see the clock and there was only like eight seconds left on the clock or something. So he rushed his setup and he just like, yeah. what I should have done and what I didn't do is go to the jury and complain about the referee not giving the start command, even though even though, even though he'd given the start command for an identical starting position previously. And what might have been able to come out of that was instead of going, get, uh, I forget what we opened on, one over like 205 or something, and then we took 216 for the second. And the reason that we took 216 and not 215.5 is that Russell already had a chip from the 313 squat that he got. And so we, we would end up half a half kilo ahead at 216. Um, and so we... And so, and so he missed 216. I should have gone to the jury and got another attempt at that so that we could take 216 then and then on the third come back and attempt like 218.5 or something like that and, get, and gain that little bit of an extra, extra lead. Um, and Brett was probably good for that. And so fortunately, Brett came back on his third and got the 216, but it meant that we didn't get a shot at that, that higher number. And the second one, and I think Bill talked about this when he was on, was... Um, uh, Russell was opening his deadlift at 300 and we'd submitted a fake opener for Brett at like 285 or something. Um, and if we, and at that point we were sort of neck and neck on subtotal. And so what, so what the plan was, was, and, and uh, Brett had the lower lock number. So if both of them had open on the same weight, Brett would have gone first and then Russell would have gone afterwards. And that's, that's bad. Um, because what that means is that Russell gets to see, or Russell's coaching staff, get to see Brett lift and then what we put in for our attempt, then watch Russell lift, and then they can pick whatever number they want after that. Whereas we have to watch Brett lift and then go, fuck, what's Russell got to do? I don't know because I haven't seen him lift yet yeah. um, and, and guess. And so so we're like, okay, I'm going to go up. I'm going to change our opener to 302, and then Russell's going to go first. We're going to watch Russell. And then we're going to watch Brett and we're going to see what Russell puts in. And we're just going to match that jump. And we're going to keep matching that jump. And we're going to force him at the end to have to do something ludicrous to be able to beat us. And so at three minutes and seven seconds, the cutoff's three minutes. And so at three minutes and seven seconds, I walk up and I look around and I can't see anyone else. And I put the attempt in. And then out of nowhere comes Bill McCarthy. Um, and he's like, he's 120 kilos. He must have been somewhere. Like he couldn't have. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how I didn't see him, but I didn't. And he comes in with like, three minutes and one second and he changes Russell's opening attempt also to 302 so that we're in the same shitty position that we were in before um except now it's two and a half kilos heavier um and so like again that probably wouldn't have been enough to swing it from Russell winning to Brett winning but what it would have done is is swing it from 
Brett is in a slightly disadvantaged position to Brett is in a slightly advantaged position. And I know that Russell thought he could deadlift more than he could actually deadlift on that day. So what we, we might have been able to do is force him into that range that he thought he could do that he couldn't just with that little change um, by making him guess what Brett was good for. Mm. Um, and so that killed me. And like I, that, that mistake, that, that, that difference of that six or seven seconds um, at the end there, that is what, that's what kept me up that night. It's, it's funny. Because Bill is a 120-kilo ninja. <laughs> yeah, he is. You know what? Can I say something? There's a rumor. He came down from the fucking Raptors like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. you believe that? I've heard it, that rumor. Yeah, I've heard, heard that, that rumor. rumor. It, it just dropped that attempt selection on there. Um, in terms of going to the jury, but you do need a one-white light, do you not? Not in that case. Um, so... The jury can only overturn overturn an attempt in a two-to-one situation, but they can grant additional lifts to lifters at their discretion. And so if I said that Brett was disadvantaged because of a referee that the decision made, and therefore he should get an extra attempt, they can do that at any time, regardless of what the referee decision is. Gotcha, gotcha. Because you're not necessarily arguing the call in terms of like a death call or whatever. You're saying no. lockout's lockout, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So what I, what I would have been saying was that um, the way that the referee treated Brett put him at a, at a bad position. And, and that was unfair based on what we've previously seen. Therefore, he should get another try at it. Mm. Um, and, and that and like that, that wouldn't necessarily have gone over well with the jury. Um, it might have it might have just made them annoyed at me and made me more like made, made them more likely to tell me to go away if I came to them again afterwards. Right. Um, but but we could have done it and we didn't, and it possibly would have made a two and a half kilo difference on on the end result. I've seen. I mean, man, I've seen um, Jeff Butt, Canadian national team head coach. One day, he was. It seemed like he was like a Canadian was in a tight battle every single time, and calls were tight, just as close as the battle was. And some calls didn't go the Canadians' way. And Jeff was at that fucking jury table, like almost every call it felt like. And I remember my co was like, "Man, this guy's at the table," or I, maybe not my co, somebody in the staff was like, "This guy's at the table a lot." I'm like my brother, first off, this is a job, and, and I think Canada even pays for the head coaches to go out. And they, there's an expectation level. Also, you gotta, you want that coach who's like that basketball coach at the sidelines yelling at the ref. Not literally have to be yelling, but, you know, he's going to argue on your behalf. He's going to go in Absolutely. there and be like, you know, like, look at, I mean, when it's, you're the lifter should. The lifter should never approach the jury table, approach a ref or whatever. That is what the handler's for. No joke, lifters very rarely understand all the rules and know what's going on, and they're going to make themselves look silly, and now the, the jury and the coach or, and the refs don't like it. Whereas the handlers, if they're worth their salt, know what's going on and can actually debate and will be on even keel because you are a ref. You're category two ref. And- you know who's really good at that is, is Arian. Arian is at the table every time there's a dispute, and like he probably gets a higher percentage of turnovers than any other coach that I've seen. Really? Because he doesn't seem that charming to me. That's surprising. No, he's just really good at arguing. <laughs> hey, Arian, we love you. <laughs> is that what it is? Okay, maybe. Uh, messy can messy. Um, yeah, I mean, it is It is part of being able to articulate and knowing the rules and knowing the ground you stand on. And there are times, man, where the jury is like, they're not feeling what you're saying, but they might swing your way anyways because they know you're right. Right is right if you know the rules yeah. properly. Uh, and and that happened and I think there is also don't you have to pay a certain amount deposit and then they'll review it and if they agree with you you get the deposit back if they don't they keep the money or some shit like that yeah that's that's really close Um, so what happens is if you so you can you can argue any two to one decision if it's a 
two red lights to one white light, if you're trying to turn a bad left into a good left, you can do that at any time. Um, if you're trying to turn a two white light, one red light left into a bad left, that costs a 75 euro deposit. Um, gotcha. And so what, what the way that might work is like if I see Russell or he squat and he gets two white lights and one red light, I go to the jury, I give them my deposit. I say, that squat was high as balls. Um, please review it. Um, and they have the ability to do that. And so what, what happens is you, you don't get the money back if they agree with you. You get the money back if you make a reasonable argument. And so I can't waste their time. Like if the red light was clearly a mistake, I don't get my money back. If they review it and they go, mm, that was borderline, but still to death, they will probably still get the money back because I've made a, a reasonable argument and, and it's a, you know, it, was a, it was a reasonable thing to do even if it didn't work out. I, but I'm not wasting their time. Yeah. Uh, and I like your, your argument there. Maybe you should have Angus approach if you're going to say that squat was high as balls. <laughs> like, well, that's airtight argument right there, sir. <laughs> you're the, you, so you revert to diplomacy, do you? <laughs> like I said before, I I, I can be a bricer. That's right. Um, but because I, I seen Jeff Butt approach the table, and it's interesting and it's tough because you're trying to take a lift away from another lifter. It's very. Yeah, it doesn't make you friends. <laughs> it, it doesn't make you friends. And is it is that? A taboo move to do is there you know is that something that like look it it's one thing to dispute i think we should have got a lift that we didn't get but are you a whole lot more careful and not quite as liberal if you're going to approach that table and take a lifter away from someone else i'm so much more careful with it yeah it's, it's definitely a little bit taboo like i said before like the first and second priorities are uh, uh stack kilos get medals and the third priority is make friends um and so if the if if doing that and you know it doesn't like I said it doesn't make you friends if anything it makes you it makes you some enemies um if doing that is going to put someone in a position where they're more likely to win particularly if it's a championship like if we're, if we're talking Brent going for first hell yeah I'm going to do it if it's one of our if it's one of our like say junior 93 kilo men say me trying to move from 15th position into 14th position like I probably wouldn't bother in that in that case because there's very little on the line it's gonna, it's just like, yeah. And so, like, I, I would think about it. I definitely think about it. Um, but unless there was a real strong case for it, I probably wouldn't. And whose money is that you're putting on the line? Because you said you're not funded. Does the federation give you that money to post? Uh, I would. They, no, they don't. Um, and so the 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 plan for Sheffield was that we had we had envelopes ready to go with the right amount of money in them, and so that we would we would have it ready to go and just be able to hand it over. Um, but I, yeah, no, I don't don't. Get, that doesn't get funded that that i would just pay for that dog <laughs> okay so if homeboy rank 15th is disputing the squat of homeboy rank 14th and he's like go toss your money out there i'd be like you give me your credit card young man because i'm i'm not so sure that squat was high like that's a little bit different if it's going to move him from fourth into third and he gets to go home with a medal and spend the rest of his not life knowing that he was the he was top three squatters in that class at the IPF World Championships, and no one can ever take that away from him. Like that's worth a lot, right? Like that's it's hard to measure how much that's worth. And so even if he's going to come fourteenth or fifteenth overall, if he's in a shot to get one of those discipline medals, I would probably still do it. And like I'm, like if someone wanted to pay me back for it, I, I like I, I wouldn't would say ask, no. You wouldn't ask for the money back. I probably. Probably not. Like, I, like clearly, I'm not doing this for money, right? Um, 
Would and, you ask and, for it? What about ahead of time? What about before you approach? Be like, here it is. I can approach. It's gonna cost. It's gonna cost X amount if it doesn't go our way. You want me to approach or not? Would you do that, or, or is it not enough time to explain? Because the rules are very complicated. You got only so many seconds. Not, not, not enough time to explain. Yeah. Like I, I think I would right. do it. And there's definitely some people who would pay me back, and I just, and, and I know that they would because they're like that. And there's some people who it wouldn't even occur to. And yeah, that's yeah, whatever. It is what it is. Brett wouldn't pay. Compared to the amount of money it takes me to get to Sweden, like throwing an extra seventy-five euros on the table to 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 get somebody that thing is not. Dude, this yeah, is this is like when it goes from a game of chess to a game of like fucking poker. And you're you're throwing money on the table and calling a bluff and and the whole thing's getting a whole lot spicier. I remember um when Jeff Butt, the Canadian coach, did it for a Canadian, it was a junior who sure as shit didn't know the rules and had no idea the the type of coaching that Jeff look at Jeff Butt, if you don't know, he's fifty years old, been powerlifting since the early nineties, maybe even late eighties as well. And he knows the rules front and back. He's been competed at so many international competitions and coached at so many international competitions. In terms of gaming and strategizing and knowing the rules, my man is on point. And he's got this kid who is like a teenager and has no idea Jeff's calls in terms of keeping him in the hunt. I swear to God, Jeff approached the jury so many times for that one kid and then, and then approach a jury and throwing down money. And for Canada, I think they only have so much money that's given and then it's going to dive into Jeff's also. He's going to dive into his personal. And I remember afterwards when I was done the commentary, I swung back there and grabbed that kid. I forget his name. And I was like, listen to me. I don't know if you fully realize all how this works. But my fucking man fought so many battles for you today. And he got a medal. The kid got, I don't think he won, but he got like a silver. I was like, how do you feel? And he's like, ah, I, th- I wish I would have got this or whatever. And I'm like, you have no idea what it took you to get that medal that you do have. Like, yeah. you should, he should have been bombed out. One of the calls would have been a bomb out call. And he approached, he approached the jury, threw money on the table, uh, a different later on, he had to throw money on the table, take away someone's lift to move him up on the right. Cause there was a bomb out call he approached. Then there was later on someone else's call they had to have overturned. And he was constantly at the jury table, fighting and scratching and throwing down and calling bluff the whole night. And Jeff was like, I know there's a lot of the people in the jury. If I see him at the bar tonight, I'm going to be like, don't even talk to me. I'm sick of your face. But he's like, but I got that kid, like you said, a silver medal. And that kid, if he doesn't know, he may never know. He may never know what what happened with his handler to get him that. And how many people watch. I'm trying to explain uh, uh, as a commentator. I also have 60 seconds. So when the other lifter comes up, after that lift is done, I have to, the rule is you have to give attention to what's going on on the platform. So I try to explain as much as I can in 60 seconds. And be like, all right, I see the jury. Uh, he's at the jury, and this is what's trying to blah, blah, blah. Uh, but anyways. Uh, yeah, I, I feel on the live stream, people are like, oh, he gave money to the jury. Is he just, like, actively bribing him? And I'm like, like you, you clearly don't know what's going on here. There's, yeah. Like, there's there's a game being played that you're not following, yeah. and, and I don't have time to explain it to you. That's, well, that's exactly it. That's why I'm glad we have podcasts like this sometimes. And, and, and I swear, man, people DM me when I have the coaches on, especially handlers. People get programming at this point. 
I think everybody and their mother thinks they're a master programmer when they talk about RPEs and I do triples, doubles. Wow, no one's ever done triples before. You know what I'm doing? <laughs> you know what I'm doing? I'm putting in, I'm putting in uh, paused work. Well, paused is nothing new neither. However, when it comes to handling, as soon as you start talking like we're talking right now, a lot of people all of a sudden be like, all right, well, I, I'm not going to bluff that I knew all this shit. <laughs> right? You can't, don't bluff me. You didn't know this. Don't bluff me. You know, or or you probably, you could watch powerlifting years and never see some shit like this go down and understand what the hell's going on. There's still new stuff I see popping off. And, and I've seen a lot of sessions at world level and new stuff pops up all the time. I, um, I love that move that that Swedish team did uh, in, in 2019 where they made the opening deadlift. They put in a second attempt deadlift, skipped it, came back and took a much bigger attempt on that third deadlift. And so everyone else was trying to make these decisions, having no idea what this what the Swedish man can deadlift. And he's been resting like twice as long as everyone else. Everyone else has had like six, seven minutes. This dude's been chilling out for like 15 minutes. He's, he's only done one attempt at like 88% of his max or something. And, and then they come in with this deadlift, which is like 40 kilos heavier than his opener. No one else has any idea what the probability is that he's going to make it. And they have to make decisions around this. And I'm watching this and I'm going... That is a fucking masterclass in attempt selection right there. Do you know who that who that gentleman was? <sighs> it might have been your your 105 junior. Uh, it was Emil Norling. That's it. You got uh, it. Emil Norling. Yeah, it was. It was Emil Norling. It was United Emil Norling. You got yeah. it. Yeah, I was commentating that one. And uh, when he didn't come out, um, I I remember some people like, oh, is he injured or whatever? I'm like, nah, he ain't injured. Nah, he's just pulling uh, nah, I've seen this before. <laughs> I've seen this before, too. Yeah, and I, I've seen some people do that shit and they just they just they might have seen someone at the world level do that. So now they're doing it at like local meets and they're doing it at situations where it's not even necessary. And it's like, are you just doing it because you saw someone do it once? And you just do it now? Because these things work in certain it's very specific. And sometimes you see people doing things like I don't think I, I don't it's like that one uh the Princess Bride movie when he keeps saying inconceivable and the guy goes, I don't yeah. I don't think you know what that word means. <laughs> right? You keep saying that word. I don't think you know what that word means. It's the same thing where sometimes you see strategy like this where it's like, I think you saw this on a live stream somewhere, and you're like, That's my shit now. Cause it fucks up the competition. Ah, or it might fuck up your lifter though. Because if he misses his third, he's fucked. Like he goes from second to nowhere, right? Yeah. He's losing forty kilos if he misses that jump, which is like it's 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 powerlifting. Instead of it's very first and eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's not something you just do for the for the shit. Well, it's fifty fifty. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Well, that's why you don't always do it. It's just like the probability you would say with Brett's, you know, thirty percent chance of hitting it. But if you don't hit it, you got ten percent chance of winning this. Or if you do hit it, we're back up to fifty fifty. So you load yeah. the bar and you make these calculations where some people are just like. Seen it work one time. Let's fucking try this. <laughs> and the other coaches are doing, are doing the same thing, right? Like, I make a move, Aaron and Bill make a move. I make a move, Aaron and Bill make a move. And so if I make the same move every time, they go to expect it and they start tailoring their moves to match my moves. So, like, if I, or if I always do the skip the second, take the third attempt deadlift, they expect that and they know what's coming and they go, okay, he's, gonna, he's not going to make that attempt. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump to this, which is, you know, like, if they expect that to come, it's not... It's not a meaningful strategy anymore. At that point, like you, they, they know your playbook. Yeah, and it's it's a pretty thin playbook, brother. That's the same thing as jujitsu. Let's throw it back for a second here. If you keep doing the same damn thing every time, it's gonna work day one. Day two, he's like, ah, shit. 
By day three, he's laid on the pillow, just like you thought about the Brett Gibbs situation. Like, I'm okay with it. I'm fine with it. I'm not fine with it. I'm up at three o'clock in the morning, and it's bothering yeah. me. That dude's rolling into the next jujitsu um, night when you guys roll, and all of a sudden, he's shutting your shit down because he was researching, and he knows you can't do the same thing over and over. You need a plethora of moves, a, a, a thick-ass playbook to keep everybody guessing. Hey, do you remember that time we talked about Moneyball? Um there was the in, in Moneyball uh, in the in the book they talk about this one particular athlete and he gets promoted from uh, some minor league into the major leagues and in his first uh, it might have been like his first sixty at bats in the major league he was on track to break the record for most home runs uh, of, of any of anyone ever um, but he only had one move and I, I forget exactly what the move was but he he only had one move as a batter. And so by the time he'd been at plate 60 times, every other team had watched him be at plate 60 times and knew exactly what he was going to, exactly what he was going to do. And after that, he never scored a home run again. Uh, like after that, after that first 60 times, because he only had one thing that he did. And so they watched him do that again and again. And they were like, how do we counter that? We do this because he can't adapt to the situation. And he, and so this guy was like on this stellar career path and suddenly he crashes because he can't adapt to this new, this new situation. And here's the difference where that guy would fucking kill it in the minor leagues, in the semi-pros. And he would be, he'd be killing it, and everyone's like, you're, you're stuck. Hits the pros, and he has some early success. But here's the difference in powerlifting. That might work in some local competitions. That might work at a local nationals or whatever the shit. Hit the world championships where you guys have these stats. You already said all the numbers you crunch where you know all the different calculations, you've watched all the different playbooks, etc., and you're like, oh, really? Are you using that again? You're making that play? Yeah. yeah. It's like, wow, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> and it's like, you're in the big leagues now, my friend. Your intuition and your your, your thin playbook isn't going to get you very far. I love that analogy you just used with the money ball. And that's a baseball analogy too, sir. You're, you're very well cultured for a Kiwi. <laughs> From, I, uh, I I read a lot of sports stats books. Do you really? And I was I actually picked up Moneyball hoping I was going to get something that I could transfer to powerlifting, um, and, and I didn't. But it was a really interesting read anyway. So yeah, uh, yeah, I get it, I get it. Because even like I'll read autobiographies of of athletes that it's not even a sport I, I really give a shit about. But there are similarities that even if they're like for your stuff. If the coaches are making decisions and it's like, all right, this isn't quite powerlifting. I don't know what I'll take from this. However, that analogy where you could be like, but I understand it. Even if it's not something I'm going to use in a powerlifting competition, I'm actually intrigued in the story. I'm actually intrigued. Mm -hmm. How does this story end? How do they adjust? Because I can relate. I've been to certain situations, made certain calls, and it's interesting to you. I mean, yeah, same way. I can read books and it's like, it doesn't have to be a sport I'm into or even a sport I fully understand while I'm reading and I'm like, okay, I can draw parallels to this. Yeah, absolutely. You think we're ever going to have, like, is there even autobiographies and shit like that with powerlifting? Is there any? No, but there, no, but there should be. I would like I would I would read I would read all of them. I'd read the shit out of them. Do you, um, do you think there will be like Brett Gibbs and Russell Laurie in like 10, 20 years, there are gonna be books on these guys? I think there should be. Um if powerlifting makes it to the Olympics, which I don't think is very likely, but I I would like to see. I definitely. Like if you go from not an Olympic sport to an Olympic sport, suddenly there's money and attention being yeah. pummeled into your sport, and then everyone wants a piece of it. 
And so they, they look around and they go, who's, who's the person that we want to talk to? In New Zealand, it's, it's Brett. It's um, Precious McKenzie. It's uh, Danny Namana. Da- um, like, it's, it's those people. Um, and so, like, if, if, if we made it into the Olympics, 100%. Um, if not, like, possible, but less likely. When people say powerlifting is boring and they're like, watching it's boring or reading a book, how would that be, how would that be entertaining because they're just squatting and whatever the shit? It, when you understand, and in the book, you, you don't have 60 seconds to explain what's going on. You could actually break it down in a chapter, a whole chapter just for the squat session and be like, look, this is what's going on right now. And then you're like, oh my God, that's high stakes. So then when you made that decision with Brett, and you say all the percentages and why, looking at the forecast and what we believe is going to happen on the bench. And then if we do this with the deadlifts and blah, blah, blah. And then you explain what happens in the deadlifts. 120 kilo man repels down from the ceiling and drops. It does a, a game changer in the whole night. You explain this. Man, that, that fucking battle at the end isn't just, and then he squatted and missed. And then I squatted and hit. And then, and then, it, no, it's not that. If you actually know what's going on in the reader... If you got time to explain it, yeah, man, you'd be like, fuck, this is, this is really interesting stuff, man. You don't even got to be into powerlifting to understand because you could be a baseball guy or whatever sport guy and understand this is athletes at a high level doing shit that less than 1% of the world can do. And this is coaching staff who is uber ready like Moneyball coming in there making split set like these decisions with 60 seconds in there and just trying to crunch them up numbers and do the data and all the maneuvering. Yeah, I read it. 100% and you, could, you could totally make a story about that. It's about the narrative, right? If you just go, this happened, this event happened, and then this event happened, and this event happened, you can make anything sound real boring. Like, uh, I remember the Olympics a couple uh, a, few, a few years ago, um, uh, Mohamed Farah, Mo Farah, was running in the 10K. Mo Farah, oh, yeah, he won the 10K again. Surprise, surprise. Not a story. You go, Mo Farah was running in the 10K. And at the at like the seven k mark, he tripped and he fell and he was in last place. And but he got up and because of his fucking Mo Farah, he managed to overtake everyone and still managed to make it back to the beginning and win. And and like suddenly that's a story, that's a narrative, and, and you would read that. Here's, here's the thing: when I try to do commentary, if I could toot my own horn and make it all about me, uh, <laughs> but um, that's one thing I I try to do as well when I'm watching it is, and I got I got a big one up is that I do all the all these podcasts so I know people's background stories and I'm reposting all these people leading into the event so I know how your training went. I'm reading your captions. I know what's going on in your life so that I can draw the storylines out of it and I've seen enough of this in terms of like the gamesmanship, the rules and all the things that might play out so I can also say, oh my God, if he misses this, this is what the position he's in or the position she's in, etc. And that's why I am not a huge... I'm trying to use my wording carefully because I'm not trying to throw anyone else under the bus who does a job. Commentary, if you got the guts to get in the booth, it's tough. Everybody and their mother seems to want to get in there, but it's difficult to make it actually entertaining with storylines and a whole line. And you got to be a storyteller, which is a whole different skill. Um, and then on top of that, understand what the fuck you're looking at. So it's not just, oh, here's whatever on the bar. Oh, no good. Perhaps five more kilo uh, or five less kilos, sorry. Oh, he did get it. Wow, he got this one. Oh, it looks like about 10 kilo. What do you think? Yeah. And here's so-and-so. And that is like 90% of that, or probably like a lot of that. And it's like, ah, oh, man. And um, yeah, it's, it's, 
if we're ever going to get it so we're entertaining to watch, it's a massive difference when you can actually tell a story, know the rules, draw on those storylines, and make it a narrative. You got to really do storytelling. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's uh, like it's not it's not trivial to be able to do that. You need powerlifting specific knowledge. You need lifter specific knowledge. You need to be a good speaker. You need to be a good storyteller. Like, like that's that's a hard set of skills to cultivate. Who is a coaching staff around the world that uh, when you're up against them, you're like, fuck me, we got a battle on our hands because of the coaching oh, staff? Oh, yeah, there's, there's a few. Um, Carolina, I think her surname's Arvidsson, the, the Swedish coach. Um, Bill and Arian are, are, are tough. Uh, Dietmar, when Dietmar is around, like, uh, got to keep an eye out for him. Um, those are the ones that are coming immediately to mind. Not so, uh, and Robert Wilkes is real dangerous as a coach as well. Um, he's world powerlifting now, so I don't come up against him anymore. Um, but but he's he's a dangerous one to keep an eye on as well. Okay, we're not allowed to say his name on this podcast, sir, and that's where we're going to end. Oh, we can just go back and cut <laughs> a little bit out. No, I'm joking. Have you ever had to battle it with Matt Gary, or did you miss him? Uh, no, I've, I, yeah, I've battled it out with Matt Gary a little bit. Uh, not, a, not as much as I would like. I, like I've, I've missed, largely missed him. Um, yeah, uh, Matt Gary is, is uh, definitely someone I keep an eye on as well. Yeah, because he's now moved into the role of coaching the coaches in, uh, I forget his actual... Oh, and Avi Silverberg and Matt Goldsmith. Uh, those guys as well. Those guys are tricky. There you go, man. Let's throw some Canadians. Although Avi has wasn't the head coach for a little bit, but he might be back. But um, it's some of the look at. I already said. I said Jeff, but I don't know if he's the Canadian Open team. Though. Yes, he was because he got Maria T. Uh, the yeah. World Championship. Uh, yeah, my man Jeff. But look at. I I could also roll off some numbers. Those dudes are the people as well that are up there. I think Jeff Butt for my money is up there as well, and obviously for sure Matt Gary. Although he more on the world level, uh, yeah, he's not in the coaching staff, so you won't see him. But on the U.S. national team uh, or battling in the U.S. Raw Nationals, he's one of the guys, and he's got man, he leads a lot of people onto the world team with his coaching. And uh, but anyways, yeah, it's it is interesting how you can have favorite lifters and you can have favorite handlers. And be like, oh, that guy's a monster. Yeah, absolutely. I, absolutely, and like, and I, and I do that in New Zealand as well. Like when I'm coaching at nationals and Brett rolls up, I'm like, okay, I'm I got to be prepared for shenanigans today. Because he's good, man. That's the thing. I wish. He's good. Yeah, he's real good. Let me tell you something, Brett. Um, when Brett is done lifting, I fucking hope he sticks around for coaching because he's he's brilliant for programming and brilliant for handling. He's not that dude who just knows programming and he's just a lifter and he doesn't know shit when it comes to powerlifting. He's a student of the game. He is smart. He works hard. He's humble. He spends a lot of time researching and learning from different people. Like I think just the other day, I, I saw on his Instagram story that he's like rewatching old uh, old RTS lessons from Mike Teixeira. Jesus like, Christ! Jesus, Christ. get a life! <laughs> get a fucking life! What is the matter with you? I go back. I'm taking what I said about Brett back. I just lost a lot of. <laughs> And so, yeah, it's quarantine. No one's allowed outside. That's um, right. Quarantine. Like, what, what kind of time was this? I just heard Brett is watching 2002 footage of the IPF World Championship, studying calls. I'm like, oh my God. This is. Okay, I'm not going to lie. I've been back over old footage and, and like analyzed it, like particularly cases where there's been battles that I haven't been involved with. And I've gone back and I've, like, I've been making notes and I've been like, oh, it's been like three, three o'clock in the morning and I can't oh, sleep. Wow. And I'm like, Oh, why did he make that that decision? Like, I can't, I can't see what's what's going on here. And I'm like, you're, you're, you're like, is he, is he on? He's an older guy. Is he on Facebook? 
Can I message him and ask him what time what is it? What was the Instagram handle? I'll just slide in his DMs and ask him what he was doing. What, what was your thought process, sir? Because I'm interested in some guys like, who the fuck are you? And oh, that was three years ago. Yeah, like, you no, three, remember no, that? No, 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 no. Do a better story. That was 15 years ago, son. I haven't coached powerlifting in 10 years. Please, I am blocking you. First please, leave me alone. 15 fucking years ago, son. Let it go. Let it go. No, but I just, I've been fucking thinking. You go, if I could show you a picture I have on my wall, and then we go back to the serial killer tracking wall you have, and the guy's like, See, so your hair and your wet hair. I think you hair. You go, and I've crunched the numbers and the probability. How did you know? How did you know that it was a 10% probability? He's like, stop. He goes, could have been intuition. Could have been intuition. Don't tell me you're that guy. And he's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is just how I picture it. But um, now think if somebody's listening to this and they were thinking about handling, you know how intimidating it is if you know there's guys like you out there and you're like, well, fuck me. You know, fuck me kindly. I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I've, as a world, as a world commentator, I've commentated on sessions, and it's like a nation. I'm not gonna name it, but you could tell they don't go to worlds very often, and they are so in over their head. And um, it's like you guys are sharks, and you see food, and you go to eat. And it's like these guys, even if their lifter was strong, you go, you you're gonna bully the out of him when it comes to attempt selection and, and lot numbers, body weights, and in terms of getting chips and making sure you're always in the lead. And by the second deadlift, it's probably wrapped up and he's getting forced into a really fucked up third. And it's like these guys didn't see it coming. And and they're gonna go they're they're gonna go home and be like, oh love, love. And like I like I almost feel bad for them sometimes. And I like and I and I and I'm watching these people and I'm like you're not warming up in time. You're not going to make this. Uh, you're not even paying attention to the scoreboard. You don't realize that you've moved from opening six to opening second because everyone else has changed their openers. And suddenly <laughs> you need to be prepared four minutes earlier than you thought you needed to be prepared. Yeah, yeah, no. And you're kind of working with the Russian coaches and the Russian coaches are pretending to not understand you even though they do understand you and like not letting you warm up properly. And like... Wait, is it... Is, how are the Russian <laughs> team? I picture the Russians, they're so, they're so stoic. And um, so East, typically Eastern European at times. Um, so they're hard to read, but they, they must, like, what are, do they take it seriously? Are, like, oh, sure. Sure, yeah. Because I don't know them by name, like the Russian coaches, whatever, knows, like Borishik or whatever. But I mean, those dudes, when they're coming in, do they got the game tight and they know all about you as well and you think they did their homework? Because yeah. they, they yeah. play it off like they don't know. You pass, if they pass an American lifter, they aren't stopping to shoot the shit they aren't even going to look up like they even recognize you off Instagram. They don't, they're acting like they couldn't give a fuck less. Oh, no, no, they, but they, they absolutely know. And, like, I recognize the Russian coaches. The Russian coaches rec- recognize me for sure. Um, like, they, they definitely know what's up. <laughs> I love there's actually There's actually a good story. Um, at Worlds in 2019 in, in Sweden, we were warming up for the 83-kilo junior lifters, and we had this lifter, Tim Monagatti, who is – remarkable athlete he's really really good and uh, he has a phenomenal deadlift i think he's pulled 300 for eight um not on a not on a deadlift bar but not on a proper power bar either just like a normal gym bar i pulled like 300 for eight like he is he is good as an 83 junior that's insane yeah and so we're we're warming up on this on this platform and uh we'd, we'd originally been warming up with some what i like to call the friendly countries you know canada uh sweden like the people that we get along with quite well and so, so somehow we've been shunted onto this platform with these three Russian coaches and these two Russian athletes who are in the same session. And uh, some, I think it must have been Tim's face because he has this 
like the serious face when he's working. Um, and he, um, but we managed to bully these three Russian coaches and their two lifters off our platform so that we had a platform to ourselves to warm up for deadlifts. And I think it was mostly just because Tim's warming up and his, his second warm up or something was like 190 or 200. And he's just like popping it up for five. Um, and, and we're, and we're going fast. Like we're, 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 we're working through this and we're, and these Russian coaches are just like, and they, they don't say anything and pick up all of their equipment and move to a completely different platform and start trying to work in with someone else instead. Well, here's the thing. They probably know, too, if they're like, look, it, our boy's good for top 10. But this kid who's battling for gold, it's going to fuck up my boy's confidence. You don't want to be too close to, look, it, if you're in top 10, you, you confidence is a major thing when you're approaching the bar. You got to be Absolutely. I've I, and I'm sure everybody listening at some point, has missed the lift, fired themselves up, gone back, same weight, same day, 30 seconds later, I'm not any stronger, and I hit it. You get your mind right, you get your mind right, and it happens. Don't hit on a platform with fucking Russell Orhe or Brett Gibbs when they're in the middle of a battle, and you got a good chance to be top 10 in the world, but if you're with one of those guys, you're going to feel like a bitch. (laughs) You're not going to feel confident. You're gonna, who, who you warm up with is important. Like, like that's 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 part of it, right? You need to you need to warm up effectively, and if there's a bunch of dudes speaking Russian and keeping you out of the loop on purpose, like, yeah, that's that's something you got to deal with. And, and um, so that's why the Russians might have been like, all right, whatever, New Zealand, friendly country. Let's see what's up. They see your boy moving some numbers like that, and they're like, I don't like this. Is like putting yeah. my boxer in to spar with a young Mike Tyson. We don't need this. We're, yeah, getting, this is we're, getting, guys. we're getting ready for a fight, and the guy we're fighting is a lot wimpier than Mike Tyson. Why is he sparring with Mike Tyson? You know what I mean? We're, they're like, we're fighting for 10th place. This guy's fighting for gold. Why are, why are we on the same platform? Our boy don't need this. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. fair play by them. Yeah, yeah. No, can't, can't blame them at all. Listen, my man, we are approaching three hours. And Have we been talking for three hours? Getting close, my man. I'm at two hours, 45 minutes, and we were talking before we started recording as well. Dude, these podcasts are flowing like this, but you know what's helping? Um, the Joey Flex podcast, I know, I've known Joey for years. Um, obviously, Bill and Arian, we talk every damn day. You're in the same group chat. We talk every damn day. So it's easy to pick up and start rumbling and rolling. However, I don't know. Have we ever talked face-to-face? Yes, but not on video calls. Uh, we 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 hung out a little bit in Sweden. We hung out a little bit in Canada. But like because most of us we were mostly working. It was right, you know like, we're, we're running past, and you're like quickly interviewing Brent, and you're quickly interviewing Russ, and you're quickly interviewing like whoever else it is, and then you're getting back into the back into the booth, and I'm like I'm loading bars while you're, and so like we're kind of kind of chatting. But like I know I see you face like I for sure remember seeing you and talking to you like that. I meant like um. Because we talk shitloads on chat. We never actually talk, talk. Like, you know, we sit down, get to know somebody. You were, like, you knew me and I knew you. But I mean, like, fuck, man. You know, in the world, how many people you know like that, right? Whereas, I, especially, like you said, if I got media obligations, I'm like, I got to talk to this dude real quick. And then I got blah, blah, blah. But uh, it's good to sit down and be like, because I didn't know. I found out some shit about you I didn't know. Just sitting down here where you don't find out even in a group chat. That's why I like sometimes sitting down um, on a podcast and be like, I got this dude. And thank you for your time, by the way. I'm glad you got the day off and we could do this because taking a three hours of somebody's time is kind of a big ask on the weekend. But uh, I've got a Oh yeah, yeah, it's good. But it is interesting. Like I don't. Here's another thing I appreciate is actually sitting down with somebody. 
that we've never sat down. I didn't fully get your story. I didn't fully get your background in just like shoot the shit on, on a craft. You know what I mean? Shoot the shit over yeah, it's that for three hours straight and belt that off. It is so- There's not that many people that I can sit down and like talk about sports and, and coaching and, and like all of that stuff in a lot of detail. Like the, the, the subset of people, even among powerlifters who really get that it's about, about those things is super limited. And I think that's why that, that, that group chat is on, on fire so much. Yeah, you're probably right. And can I say, this one was so much better than the last podcast I did. Oh, what a fucking torture that was. Had to carry hey, those... Mariana again? Oh, fuck. I had to carry those guys for three hours. My back was killing me. <laughs> <laughs> fuck those guys, right? Team USA? <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, those fellas came in with some heat, didn't they? Bill was like, oh. Bill was like, you asked for this. I'm coming in and I'm putting you on the spot. What's with the 74s? What's with you and Russell Orhe, Jessica Bittner? I'm like, all right, all right, all right. Peter loved it. He was like, oh, hell yeah, give it to him. But uh, but anyways, and you know what? Are we at three hours and that's the first fucking time I mentioned a 74? The 74? And we didn't even talk about the 74s. Did we? We haven't talked about the 74s. That's right. That's is, that a, is that a record for you? Dog, that is right. We did three hours, and we did not talk about the 74s. We talked about Russell Lurie. I think you brought him up, though, and I'm shying away from it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's yeah. kind of hard. Look, we're going to talk about Russell Lurie. You, you're coaching Brett, for God's sake, and these guys are like head-to-head. But um, I, think, I think we both did pretty good, sir. Let, one more question before I let you go action. I ask everybody I have on here. Um... How do you want to be remembered when we look back and we read your book and see your Netflix special? How do you want to be remembered in the game when you hang it up? That's a really tough question, but I think I'd like to be remembered as the person who helped change New Zealand's coaching from from amateur hour to the big leagues. Like the person who took New Zealand from, from a bunch of you know, the, the, the bush hats who show up and they, and they do their thing. So like a, a coordinated and well-structured team who always get the best out of their athletes on the day. And you're that fucking guy when the handlers look across and like, ah, oh, shit. Who they got? Who, I, they, I, who they got? I oh, hope man. that's how I feel. Like when I, when I walk in and I, and, I, and I see them looking and going, that's, that's good. When you see Bill and Arian and they're going to shake your hand and you're like, not today, bro. <laughs> we shake hands. We shake hands at the bar when you're buying me my beer. You owe me, you son of a bitch. A little bit of polite shit talk just just after weigh-ins, and that's it. <laughs> is that what the decor? Just after weigh-ins is fine. Just after weigh-ins is fine. That's the hour. between the end of weigh-ins and when the first time the bar gets loaded. That's that's the window. After that, it's game on. It's game on. It's sportsmanship. Okay, fair enough. And you guys don't rub in wins afterwards and losses and be like, oh, damn, what were you thinking? The fuck? Only a little bit. But it goes Only a little bit. How does anybody get a hold of you? Do you do programming as well? I do a little bit of programming, but it's not my day job. Um, my, I, I work in software and my uh, and I'm a product owner. Um, and I, I do a little bit of programming for, I've got about eight athletes um, at the moment. And best way to get hold of me typically is probably Instagram. I'm like on Instagram an unhealthy amount. Um, Preach. R-A-W-R-Y-L-Y-N-C-H, Rory Lynch. Gotcha. And um, I'm assuming you do, like you show up at competitions and people can hire you for handling as well? 
Yep, yep, I, I, I do a bit of that. Um, so like there's a, I, with like within New Zealand, I will show up at all, all of the meets. Um, anyone who wants, wants me just needs to put their hand up. Um, though usually quite quickly, I don't like handling more than one or two athletes in a session. Um, and uh, at Worlds, anyone on your team, team New Zealand who wants an extra hand, like an experienced eye to help them out, I'm 100% there for it. And anyone who's not in a session with New Zealanders, if you need extra eyes or extra hands to load bars or anything like that, I'm, I'm all over that as well. And beyond that, because now it's starting to happen, we got that, that conversation, SPD Invitational, there's money on it. And um, if people start ending up going to this SPD Invitational, some people really got to think. You listen, if you're listening to this podcast and you went the whole three hours, ask yourself, does your coach have you like this guy would have you if you handle it? And I'm not trying, look or, or, or with Arian, or Matt Gary, or Bill, or whoever this shit. Um, you know, all these different guys, like Abby Silverberg or whatever. The point isn't, you know, if the, the point is, if you got a programming coach, and there's $30,000 on the line, or whatever it is, people need to start thinking about having specific handling coaches. And... If we're talking about probabilities again, everybody makes mistakes. What's the probability these guys are going to make a mistake? You know, they're going to come well-informed, research, and know everything. Not only about the competitors, but about all the rules and all about yourself, etc. And um, and that's that's it, man. I honestly expect. Now, obviously, the SPD Invitational got canceled, but as the years come, and we have the SPD Invitational comes every year round, and what if oh, a couple more pop up on the calendar, and a little bit of money is involved. People really got to start thinking about that, don't they? You got a programming coach. You got a nutritionist. You got an RMT. You got all these people. Who's your handler? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I've, I've got that relationship with some people, and that's 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 where my head's at. Um, and if someone's listened this far and they're, they're not, they haven't already got it, I, I just like personal coaching and meet day handling as a Venn diagram. And some people are really good at one. And some people are really good at the other, but the skills of them don't, and there's some people who are really good at both, but the skills for them aren't a perfect overlap. And so someone who's an outstanding personal coach, you have to assess them separately as being a game day coach. Yes. Yeah, that's what they might, they might be great as a game day coach, but they might not be. And that's a decision that you that you need to need a way up. Because those skills aren't transferable like that. Um, because you're doing you're doing great for programming, doesn't necessarily you you're a great handler. You might be, but it could be coincidence as opposed to, well, of course. If you're good, yeah. you know powerlifting. Not necessarily. Not, and Absolutely. some people just don't have the aptitude to look at competitiveness like that. They're good at crunching numbers and data and putting together programming. But when it comes to eyeing strategy and putting together that kind of – like that's a whole nother in processing information and making decisions really quickly. That is not what you have to do in programming. You have – that's not what you should be doing for sure. You're not making decisions off that. You're making decisions off data and you're crunching the numbers. It's a whole other ballgame. There are people who are amazing at that job for scouting, at sports even. But there's a reason why the head coach has to make game day decisions, split second, have all the data in his fingertips, memory of all the rules, memory of all the numbers that you had researched before. It's just a different skill set. And even some people operate on that level well. And other people, they fucking put the clipboard down because it's too much for them. Start shooting from the hip, talk confidently, but they really are just full of shit. <laughs> right? They're really just... Yeah, really. But, uh, but anyways, listen, my man. All right. Now we're legit at three hours. Thank you very much, my friend. I got to smash some food, and then I'm going to smash a few beers because it is the week. 
and hail to the weekend, my friend. Um, enjoy yourself. Thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. Uh, much appreciated. Is there anybody you want to thank before I let you go? Thank you, and I'd like to. And thanks to Angus for getting me involved in powerlifting to begin with. You bet, my friend. Um, I'll probably talk to you in about five minutes on the fucking group chat if if, <laughs> if the last podcast was, was any indication. Have a good one, my friend. Have a, have a good weekend. See you later. Another three damn hours. However, it's some uh, interesting dialogue, man. I'm glad we have some of these coaches on. We have so many people coming over onto the podcast that are athletes. And I love a story, like I already said. So, yeah, let's get the story out of these athletes. But there's a little bit of ignorance when it comes to the game. And probably the most ignorant section of the game is the handling. A lot of, like, when I mean a lot... When I look at some of these people out there and there's so many people floating around on Instagram have no idea. Even some of the top level have no idea about handling and everything that goes into it. So I'm hoping if I could use any influence I got, it's to shed a little more light on that. And if you don't have those expertise, maybe start swinging into those expertise. Maybe you start leaning into it and getting yourself a mentor, reaching out to certain people, humble yourself. And don't assume you know everything, which is really hard for everybody, including myself, Um, I'm guilty of that for sure. So humble yourself, reach out, find yourself a mentor and start learning these aspects of the game. Because when everybody rises up like that, that's when the whole sport rises up. We're on a whole nother level of the game now. When we're watching and everybody's playing chess, not just checkers, shoot from the hip. What do you feel like? It's a whole nother ball game, isn't it? Anyways, from six pack lap it at. Oh, before I let you go. Please subscribe, give us high ratings, post us up in your stories. I will repost and uh, because you're doing nothing but pushing the game forward. Much appreciated. Peace.